Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Talking Comics Podcast, the only comic book podcast that won't scan your likeness to put you out of a job and is not powered by AI. It is Wednesday, July 26th, and you're listening to episode number 608. I am your host, Steve Say, and joining me for this week's show are Mr. Bob Ryer. Uh, To quote Roman from Robot Monster, I cannot, yet I must. (laughs) Roman. Aaron, Aaron Amos, and we'll talk about Roman in just a bit. Aaron Amos is here. Did you miss me, bitches? Yeah. <laughs> yes, we did. Indeed. Yeah, we got all topical this week. Wow. Okay. That's right. This is a, this is Timely. That's what I'm all about. I guess. All right now. Yep. Yep. Got to get the jokes while the getting's good. We've got Twitter turning into X and Hollywood still on strike. These are These are some interesting times. Anyway, he does like that letter X, doesn't he? <laughs> oh God, he's he's pathetic. I I chose not to respond because I don't want to. No, in the name of Will, in the word of Will Smith, I'm going to keep his name out my mouth. <laughs> I'll set I'll set them off. I don't give a crap. He sucks. All right, uh, let's. It's like that. Let's, it's my own fault. I brought it up. Uh, all right, what are we doing here? We've got a jam-packed show, despite it only being the three of us this week. Uh, We do have lightning rounds, of course. Some of them might be a little shorter than usual. Mm -hmm. Not going to name names. It's me. Uh, We've got a little Barbie talk. We've got some Oppenheimer reactions from Mr. Bob there. And then we have a massive news section because San Diego Comic-Con happened this past weekend. Uh, Despite a bunch of people dropping out of the show, comics soldiered on. And according to a couple of people that were there on the comic side, it was a great year for comics-focused content. Imagine that. Imagine. Comic-Con with comics. Right? (laughs) Wow. Who'd have thunk it? Who'd have thunk it? You take all the other... All the glitz and glam of Hollywood away from Comic-Con, and it's about the comics. We've come back home. So nice. Uh, The 2023 Eisner Award winners have been announced. We've got new trailers to talk about, uh, a couple of book announcements that are pretty cool, and one SDCC activation that I kind of wished I had gone this year, if only to go to a thing that we'll talk about a little later. And that's it. That's what we're doing this week. <laughs> Settle in. Get ready. Uh, let's talk about, let's move around a little bit. Bob, since you're the only one here, there are others that saw them, but mm-hmm. you saw Barbie and you saw Oppenheimer. Yes. I would love yes, to I hear. Did. I, 
I did thoughts. the Barbenheimer double feature thing. Yes, but not on, not on not on the, not on the not on the same day. Uh, Smart. I I have been looking forward to Oppenheimer for I don't know year and a half, mm-hmm. uh, and I say this often and have to couch it in. I don't mean it in the way it's going to sound. I am a real fan of the atomic bomb. Oh, all <laughs> in right. That, no, I have re- what I I have read a lot about the history of it, particularly in the whys we did what we did, and so on and so forth. So I've read probably more than most folks about this topic and so on. So that you looked at this cast and uh, the people behind it. So oh, this is this is going to be a really well done movie, and it is at a certain level as a technical piece of movie making it is really good. Uh, it loses some of its power because of the storytelling techniques. There's a lot of flashbacks and flash forwards in a way. I don't want to spoil too much of this movie. If if you don't, you don't, you know, you may want to drop out for the next minute and a half or so. The thing of it is, in that forwards and backwards, yes, Christopher Nolan is trying to make a point with relating future events in Oppenheimer's life to what he did in the past. And that, okay. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, about two thirds of the way through the second act, this is a three hour, three hour and 20 minute film, by the way. He abandons that and then just goes straight linear for a while. It's like, well, you could have done that all along and it might've been better than what you tried to do. And then you went back to that other thing. It's like, okay. The other thing is Cillian Murphy does a great job of replicating J. Robert Oppenheimer, who is the director of the Manhattan Project that built the atomic bombs. Oppenheimer was a very, by uh, contemporary accounts, a very charismatic person. Brilliant and oddly funny and, and erudite in ways behind beyond anybody else. The other physicists at, in, in Los Alamos said he was the smartest person there. And considering they had about 17 Nobel laureates, that's saying something. The thing of it is, Mr. Oppenheimer was a very soft-spoken person who spoke in measured small tones like that. If your lead character in a a three-and-a-half-hour movie is constantly muttering, it begins to gnaw at you a little bit. This isn't having George C. Scott in Patton chewing up the scenery, channeling Patton. Um, So it, it works at that level... It tells it tells an interesting story. My my one real disappointment, Mr. Robert Oppenheimer, who wanted to get this bomb made, and it was again it was to drop on the Nazis, as, uh, and then they surrendered before we could finish. Um, he had a decision to make, and he was on committees, and despite petitions against using it, despite people saying we could demonstrate it. He wanted to go full ahead and drop it on cities because of reasons. It could be a dud. We could make a demonstration. They could put our prisoners of war where the bomb is going to go off and so on and so forth. After the bomb drops, he has an epiphany that annoys some of the people who work, he worked with because he made a comment, the physicists have known sin. They were, wait a minute, you recruited us to come do a job of technical expertise, and now you're now you now you, you know you're you're doing this. And in the movie they do he does go see the president and say, Well, there's blood on my hands. And Truman says, What about my hands there, Chief? Uh, I did the thing. 
there isn't the moment. I am not advocating that this movie needed to show the footage from Hiroshima of carbonized bodies or dying children. Oh. But if, if you but if you don't show the fact that 90% of the buildings in the city were destroyed and 100,000 people were incinerated, his conversion ha has no power. Right. And the lessons that's me, that are that, supposed to be learned from it. Right. Right. We, yeah. You don't you don't get that. And I I, I will champion uh, Christopher Nolan for trying to use practical effects to show us the, the actual Trinity explosion. That's the first test in the desert of the, the implosion weapon because they had to test that. They didn't know was it was going to work. And at the time, uh, Enrico Fermi, who was also a Nobel Prize winner, he was taking side bets that the bomb would ignite the entire atmosphere and destroy all life on Earth. Oh, okay. They, they, asked, they, asked, they asked Oppenheimer, well, what are the chances of that? Nearly, nearly, nearly zero. Well, not that nearly zero. I mean, nearly zero. Um, and so they use practical effects. And as I mentioned in our chats off air, the practical effects done in this movie are no better than they were when they did War of the Worlds in '53, or when they did the beginning or the end in 1947, which was still it was still kind of a secret then. And they 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 did a better job, I think. Um, Look, it's a good movie. It is not a, a disaster. Uh -huh. But you, you've got to you've got to be ready to sit through something that's not going to have the impact you thought it would. Yeah, I'm sorry. Did you say this movie is three hours and twenty three hours, minutes? Three yeah. twenty. Yep. Three. Tw yep. I thought it was just three, but that extra twenty minutes. Three twenty. Yeah. No, that twenty minutes would be the. Uh, and I, I say that. But it's, you know, I say that realizing that I have probably sat and watched Lord of the Rings Return of the Kings like 15 times. But, you know, that's a different situation altogether. That's pure right, fantasy. Right. But if, if you, again, Patton's three hours long, it has an intermission. And it never loses focus. It never loses its energy. You're engaged beginning to end. What was Gandhi like, five loved, hours? Yeah, not everyone loves Titanic, but I got to tell you, for three hours it held your attention kept you in there um this yeah it was an interesting crowd i was there with about 10 people uh friday morning mm -hmm. um, some younger folks so i guess are nolan fans and movie fans and then some older history buffs and whatever and there was applause at the end of the movie. So what kind of theater did you see it in? Did you see it in like a special screening or was it just a, like a regular? I okay. went to my regular theater. I was going to go to the IMAX. I was going to actually drive into Huntington to go to the big shore theater. Yeah. The weather here on Friday, we had a monsoon. Oh yeah. So it was sort of, okay. I drive into a town. I have to walk around in a tornado or a derecho or something. Um, you know, not going to happen. So my local theater, big enough screen, Dolby surround, um, for all the talk about what was going to have to be, uh, the explosion didn't warrant me spending 20 bucks to see it. Damn. So hey, there you have it, folks. There you have it. Now, just <laughs> this afternoon, I saw Greta Gerwig's Barbie. Yes. And from the opening that 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 homages Stanley Kubrick's 2001, mm -hmm. this movie is smart, 
funny. It is mega meta and, and self-aware, but innocent at the same time. It is brilliantly staged, brilliantly acted across the board. It also makes much more socio-political commentary <laughs> than Oppenheimer. If you want to see a movie about the human condition, it is not Oppenheimer. It's Barbie. Wow, that's a sentence. Trust me. Uh, and you I, know what? I've heard more than one pe person say oh, that. Oh no, I'm not at all surprised. I've had I've had a good feeling about this movie since we got that first still of Margot Robbie stepping out of the heels and with her her our feet up in the air i was like oh we're going deep cuts going with this okay it is, it, is, it is funny and again meta it is also sad and heartfelt and deeply emotional and it has musical sequences and oh by by the way aaron uh simulu is big part of this movie what am I deficient? Of course, I knew that. Okay, I wasn't sure. I just <laughs> seen the chats. He is great. He's one of the Kens, of course. Uh -huh. Here, here's here's a sentence I didn't think I would say. Barbie's my favorite movie of the year. Take that, Ben Shapiro. Oh, there you <laughs> have it. There you have it. Suck on that, Ben. <laughs> Benny boy. Oh man, I will. I will be seeing that one again. There's no question. And I'm going to go with, I think, my friend Dawn and her daughters and all her lady friends. And we're going to go see Barbie. I might have to go see it by myself. Or maybe I could drag my friend Brad to go with me. I probably will. Uh, huge crowd in my local theater here. It was in their upstairs fancy hall. Uh, again, 11 o'clock this morning, maybe 100 people. And a good, a good portion of them, younger ladies, 20s perhaps all dressed up that's awesome doing pink and nice. doing barbie and the various aspects of barbie it's like oh you know hadn't seen that in the theater since wonder woman did so they have uh, a little bit but... did they have the display where you went of the empty barbie box that you can go into and take photos in didn't have that that that's uh, probably one of the bigger houses that's, that's, seen... that's a that's a big part of the movie too so that that's in the in the film itself it looks incredible. It's it's doing phenomenally in the theaters. What what did it open up? One eighty? Yeah, it was yeah, it was something <laughs> it was something ridiculous. I think uh Greta uh Gerwig is the second um female director to have her movie open at over a hundred million uh in the history of film for like for opening weekend. Wow. Yeah. So it would be Captain Marvel, I guess, before that, or Patty Jenkins. I oh, think yes. it was Wonder Woman. I think it's Wonder Woman and and Barbie. That's insane. Just to think about that. That really is insane. Only the second. Oh. This movie did so many. Like you talk about marketing, like whoever the PR team for this movie is, they've been knocking it out of the park between doing the like user generated Barbie uh, like posters where people could just insert themselves or mm -hmm. their pets or inanimate objects and turn them into Barbie dolls was absolutely incredible. Uh, the Barbie house that the just theater, appeared in, in Malibu. The mm -hmm. Yeah. I was going to say, people in the theater were doing that app. They yeah. were taking pictures of each other and the people sitting next to them making themselves into various Barbies and stuff. Yeah. They were... They were very smart and it was, you know, they leaned into the whole Barbenheimer thing 
built marketing around that when it became popular and they just they embraced every bit of this movie and sold it for exactly what it is and i mean the vast majority of people walking out of this thing have said they've had a blast i really i can't wait to see it's been one of my most anticipated movies for the year and i gotta tell you this kudos to both mattel and warner brothers because they allowed a lot of shots across both their bows in this movie yeah they almost didn't um uh, really okay yeah it was uh i did i wrote a story about uh the whole thing uh earlier today that greta gerwig was getting notes like non-stop from people with uh especially for uh will ferrell's character they were saying that he oh, he's fun kind of edged a little too close to home for some of them <laughs> and some of the executives were getting uncomfortable and greta was kind of like yeah that's the point <laughs> and uh yeah she apparently She's a huge Sylvester Stallone fan, particularly of the Rocky movies. And so <laughs> Ryan Gosling's Ken is based loosely off of their mutual love for Sylvester Stallone. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's, a, there's a whole montage, <laughs> but it works. He, he across the board, everyone's great. But Ryan Gosling and Margot Robbie and America Ferreira. Yeah. She is, and America is so important to this movie. At some level, she's she's the heart of this. As a as she's a real world lady who work, works at Mattel, mm-hmm. and so you can imagine where things get to. Um, there are moments with uh, I'm not I, no, I'm not going to say anything because I want people to be as surprised at some of the things I saw today that I mean it shouldn't be. It's Greta Gerwig who did Little Women and Lady Bird, so there's that. But that. You could have a movie that works on so many levels. If you were a nine-year-old girl or boy and sat in the theaters, it's colorful and there's music, and you might have to have some stuff explained to you. I heard different different ages laughing at so many different things for so many different ways. Adults at the the shots, at the self-awareness of it, that you can sixty-year-old women laughing from the core of their being to little girls just tittering and giggling and having a great time. In in the same way that Wonder Woman addressed three generations of people uh, sitting in front of me were mom, grandmom, daughters. You know, a uh, lot of ladies go to the movies. It doesn't have to all be testosterone, their movie companies. Just saying. Mm-hmm. Just saying. And we'll, I will get to a trailer later, which is getting some of the same negative energy from some of those negative bros. We'll talk about that mm. as we get it. Bite it. The bros. Exactly. They ruin the bros. everything. I have a huge bag of dicks here you can eat. Whoa! <laughs> go for it. Yeah, nom, 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 nom. <laughs> Chow down. <laughs> <laughs> Allow me to hand you a fork and knife. Exactly. All right. Well, that sounds amazing. I'm I actually I'm genuinely looking forward to seeing both of them, uh, Barbie more so. But I am still very curious about Oppenheimer. I don't know that I'll see it in theaters, which is kind of a shame, but I will definitely make it out. Maybe this coming weekend um, I can find somebody here, to go here, and see here, Barbie with Steve, me. If you were going to go to the theater to see that because of the hype that you should see this in the IMAX it was shot in. Yeah. If you want to see widescreen, high definition shots of old cars. I don't and have in New to, Mexico though. Desert, right, that, that's like, what there is. When you get to the explosion, I'm sorry, it doesn't matter enough to spend that much extra money. 
They're Christopher really Nolan, for for me personally, like. I know that like the the one of the events of the summer is to go and see Oppenheimer. And I like I said, I do want to see the movie. Mm-hmm. I am curious about it, but I don't feel that pull to go and see it in a theater. Like I, I've gotten pretty picky about what I go to the movies for lately. And like if I had to choose, um, Barbie would be my top pick. I'm already pissed at myself for not seeing Mission Impossible yet. Oh, I know. But, you know, we have a gorgeous uh, LG OLED TV that is, you know, perfectly fine for. Was it six feet across or whatever? Oppenheimer? No, no, no. It's like it's like 56 inches. The TV. That's cool. That's good. enough. crank up the stereo. Yeah. We'll get there. I'm not worried about it. I I do enjoy his movies. I like Tenet a lot. Um, Of course, The Dark Knight is is fantastic in some regards. I just, you know, I don't know. I'll let everybody else have fun with it. I'll catch it a little later. Yeah. I'll I'll go and use my money for Barbie. It's I've a very Tenet. good movie. Save it. See, yeah, see Barbie. Go ahead, Aaron. I'm sorry. I'm say, I've watched Tenet three times. I can't say I still understand it completely. I don't need but... to understand it to still enjoy it. And I like I like Nolan's movies visually quite a bit. I think that's the thing with him visuals, yeah. Yeah, like that's a that's a huge draw for him. It's not his stories. It's it's mostly his yeah. like style and the overall vibes of his movies. I like, but I mean, can I follow all of them? Like Interstellar, yeah. I kind of, Bronwyn had to explain it to me. I was just like, okay, what now? Where are we? The movie was long for no reason, but yeah, I see uh, your point. Yeah. So hey, right, if you want to see an Oppenheimer movie, go watch on YouTube probably day one. Or the HBO thing that was done, or Showtime, it was fifty uh, for the fiftieth anniversary of the bombing of Hiroshima. It's, it's just yeah. called Hiroshima. I'm, ge- I'm genuinely you, you get curious. a lot more out of it than than you did out of this. You'll have the power that those events should have. I'll also have the power to pause it to go use the bathroom if I need to. That's at three twenty. Some people have posted online, by the way, where you <laughs> where you can actually just leave for a couple of minutes and you won't miss anything. Good lord, I'm gonna have to diaper up oh. for that one. I'm going to say adult diapers. <laughs> All right. What else do we have on the agenda? Is it lightning round time? If sure. Well, I, I can save my banter for our trailer talk. because one. Sure. Yeah. I don't really have any, any banter of my own. <laughs> I feel like shit. So <laughs> that there's my banter. I ate something I've got, wrong. I've got, I've got big banter and it does involve eating. So there you go. Yeah. We had McDonald's earlier tonight. And well, like I'm, I, I I'm not afraid to eat a little McDonald's every now and again. I quite enjoy it, but there was something where I ate my burger, and as I, I took the first bite, and I said something to Brahman, I was like, "This, the consistency of this is off." She's like, "What do you and mean?" Yet. I'm like, "What's that?" And yet you push through. I know. Yeah. I look. I ordered slime. two of you them. I only slime. ate one of them, but she ate the other one. Mm. So I just I'm not throwing up, but I don't feel well. So great. Let's go for let's go for let's go for now. (laughs) Rent to McDonald's. I bought and consumed my first happy meal this week. Your first happy meal ever? Uh, Well, I'm a grown-up. Why would I be eating happy meals? You missed all the good toys. Missing piece of the puzzle. That's why I went because of the delays in the movies. I discovered that McDonald's is giving away in happy meals. Marvel's toys. Oh, 
because the movie should be out now. Right. So their their marketing campaign is up, and so I got a, uh, a cheeseburger and like eight French fries and some apple slices for like six dollars. But I got a Carol Danvers Captain Marvel toy. I'm looking at images of them now, and they, they're all really cool. They're cute. They think, go ahead, Bob. Sorry. Yeah, and I think next week is Monica. Mm-hmm. And we got Kamala, we got some Nick Fury, we've got Goose, we even have a Princess Carol down the road. Now, I ain't, I ain't going to say that I didn't have some indigestion from McDonald's, not as bad as you, Steve, but it definitely it definitely hit me. <laughs> but I may have I mean, to that was its in. first attack after how many years? I can't imagine it, did, it went down without a fight. <laughs> exactly so. Just avoid the middleman and throw it right in the toilet. These have moving it, parts. Uh, yeah, she, Carol is sort of flying through the air, and she can punch with her right hand. You can also put the base apparently on your phone, and it powers up the toys, and they all connect together into some giant army of people. What? Yes. That sounds so pretty I, complex for a Happy Meal toy. Yes, yes, it does. It's, it's why I mentioned it, because no one really knows this, because I didn't see an ad on TV or anything. It's just uh, that someone posted it online. It was like, oh, wait a minute. I got to get to McDonald's because I, I got to get me at least a Captain Marvel. I'm looking at an unboxing video for it. Really? Right They're doing that? Huh? Yep. An unboxing video for McDonald's Happy Meal toys. Oh, the future we live in. Lightning rounds. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'm trying to make this episode longer than two hours. Jeez. <laughs> All right, Aaron, since you're so eager, you got to go first yeah, this week. There you go. Hey, you don't want this smoke. All right. <laughs> Here we go. What do we got? Okay, so there's two two books. I'm staying in the X world uh, this week. Um, I was going to put a third book in, but since I missed last week, I was like, nah, I'll just reference it a little bit. So, and there's a reason why I'm mentioning these two books. The first one, New Mutants Lethal Legion, Charlie Jane Andrews, Javi Fernandez. I have This is number five. I have really, really enjoyed this book for a variety of reasons. The its own corner of the world. You know, we talk about X-Men all over the place. We have the X-Men doing all their things, fighting Orcus and all that stuff, but they still have a little corner of the world that is it's in continuity, I will say that. Uh, but it's also in its it's just doing its own thing. It's sort of just like the people who are not on the Quiet Council are also having lives, and this is what's happening. And what's really great about this is that you have um, so very interesting and very layered and detailed characters and a lot of relationship talk in between the actual adventure, if you want to call it that here. And I really don't know what very the focus of the book was. Like exactly. Yeah. I, I can't sell, tell what I, I focused on more, whether it was the actual mission, if you want to call it a mission, or the the um, the, the in-between moments. Well, uh, essentially, there was there's Kantnafari, who I'm sure everyone recognizes, who's basically been didn't, been neutered over the years. Um, is not quite as strong as his with his psionic powers as he as ionic powers as he used to be. Um, so he's got this, he's hatched this little this little plan to figure out how to to regain his former glory. But the problem is there might be some side effects that have rippling impacts on the surrounding mm -hmm. area. Um, and so we find our new mutants somehow embroiled in this. Now it wasn't because they were you know, they got the trouble or, or something, or the, the bat signal went to the sky and they were called <laughs> to avenge it. They were really just, you know, out to try to 
shake off some some bad some bad feelings from a previous sort of encounter they had in the previous sort of uh, not volume but uh, the previous New Mutants run is sort of wrapped introducing some of these characters and then this this volume this little mini sort of picked up um, and they were still sort of dealing with some of the outcome of that previous story and this is where some of the relationship stuff comes in one of the ways that they thought they could sort of manage that uh, the main character Sheila well one of the main characters Sheila who is our transgendered uh, mutant uh, with the ability to sort of swap places with people um, she thought one of the best ways to do this would be to sort of get involved in a little heist, get everyone a little, get everyone's juices flowing, get everyone into a little adventure and that should do it. Did not work out that way. Um, and this is how they got involved in this, this whole Count Nefaria thing, doing battle against his quote unquote lead the Legion, which involved Moonstone um, and a variety of other, exactly a variety of other uh, folks. Um, they realized quickly they're in over their heads. They got to put their, you know, get put their A game on really make this work. But again, I don't know what I enjoyed more that sort of taking down of Count Nefaria or the, the, the relationships between these main characters you have Sheila and Martha, uh, Sarah Bell, who have a relationship that was beginning, but was kind of fractured by the occurrences of that previous uh, arc. You have Sheila and Morgan who are basically best buds in their life before coming to Krakoa. Sheila embraced Krakoa, Morgan, not so much. Sheila, as I said, is trans. Morgan is non-binary, non-binary and ace. You got Morgan and Rain, aka Wolfsbane, who are developing their friendship. Um, Wolfsbane kind of trying to get him to understand there there are layers to Krakoa that you can explore. You don't have to come on and, and be a superhero. You can just come on and live, and it's perfectly fine. Um, it, just a lot going on with those inter- those relationships. You have Danny Moonstar, and it's just so many. Oh, we got some classics here. I like it. And you have what's the little one, the little Wolverine, the girl, the the little Laura Kinney? Yes. No. No, 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 I'm sorry. Uh, Gabby. Thank you, Gabby. She's got like five names. I always forget. Honey Badger. Um she's out. She's Scout. She's there. She's hysterical. Um, it's just really cute. Um, I, I really say check this out. If you're if you're not you don't need to be into the whole okay. That's my question. All effects, all that stuff. It has nothing to do with that. This these these five issues are self-contained. They are fun. They are you know you you feel some real emotion there. Um, and there's a little sort of a write up at the end of this volume. Charlie Jane and her her joy and glee at being able to write create trans characters uh, for Marvel. So I say check it out. I think you really like it. Um, I did. The next book. For those of us who are indoctrinated into the House of X, um, X Men Red number thirteen, Al Ewing, Stefano Caselli. Oh, good lord! There is so much going on. I didn't even get to to prime prep this with my conversation last week about Immortal X Men, where Krakoa and its only form of communication, Doug, Doug has decided, hey, we need to try a different thing. Krakoa agrees with me. We're going to do this. Everyone says yes. And then Krakoa says, snatch now because I know how you bitches are. I got to I gotta put Doug somewhere and protect him from all of you. Snatches him underground. No idea where Doug is. So, so basically because Krakoa's like, I know y'all can't be trusted. None of y'all. <laughs> so this guy is the only guy who understands me. The only guy who will allow me to communicate. I got to put him somewhere safe. It, there's just so much happening. So now you come into, um, oh, this is, Immortal X-Men is dealing a lot a lot with the 
political side of trying to deal with all of the things coming at mutant kind right now, um, internal and external, not to mention you have interlopers trying to come in with Celine again, trying to come in and, and stake her claim and people, Sebastian, exactly. <laughs> Sebastian doing his thing and, you know, and, uh, not mystique, but um, Irene having her little glitched, uh, abilities now and she's not so sure anymore what's what's gonna it's just all these different things are happening um so that's immortal is more of the political side x-men red is really continuing to deal with the impact of Araco of mars becoming Araco and what that means for its people and the evolution that those people have had the the, the iraqans over the over the what is it year and a half now since we've had that sort of the last gala, I think it was, wasn't it? Or was it the gala before? I can't remember. Were they terraformed Mars? I think it was the gala before. It was a gala before. Um, yeah. so you're seeing this this sort of evolution of society on Araco. And there's someone who, you know, from from Araco's heyday, Miss Genesis, uh Apocalypse's uh wife or ex-wife, who's just like, no, 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 y'all are a bunch of punk bitches now. Uh I, I don't think I like this. You know, if you're not in a war, then you're of no use. He goes, only the basically her theory is only the strong matter, the weak are irrelevant. If you're not at war, how do you know you're strong? If you're not beating someone else down, you're getting beaten down, which means you're weak. And she has basically come back to challenge all the rock on, on their little council up there. Yeah, I'm back. I'm taking the shit over and you're going to have to deal with this. <laughs> And it's about to go down again. So I'm like, how many different ways can we split mutant kind? Um, how many different things can we put on their plate, right? It's really building up. And I can absolutely see where this is all going to go, um, how this is all going to build up and fracture mutant kind. I, every other time I read, every time I read one of these books, I have a different theory about how this is all going to play out and the overall story. I do think we're going to continue going down this path. I think it's just going to shift the narrative a little bit to sort of make it a little fresh. I don't think it's going to be all confined to Kokoa anymore, but I think there's going to be implications that, you know, sort of push them back into the the shadows a little bit because they'll have to sort of rebuild. I think the Iraqis are going to, going to stake their claim. I, you already saw a little fracturing there. And I just think it's going to be really, really, really interesting. Um, now you also have a, what do you want to call it? A possessed staff who's like whispering sweet nothings in the Genesis ear. So that's that's influencing some of the decisions and some of the uh the what do you want to call it? the strife between them. So I'm sure that's gonna play a role. I think you're about to go into this battle royale thing again, uh, for everyone's seats and everyone's you know, stake in Araco. Um, yeah, it's just it. I will say this and Immortal X-Men are two books that I really read and I can feel my blood pressure go up, like my anxiety uh, begins to ratchet up because I'm like, oh shit, what's going to happen? Something's going to happen. And it's just like, next thing you know, it's the last page. Um, yeah, so two very different spaces of X-Men. Um, one is a very self-contained New Mutants. The other one is full hog into it, but you get to enjoy the mutant new standard. I think the new gold standards of, of mutants and Marvel and Marvel lore, which I am uh, as you've probably heard us say a million times on this show, incredibly happy for. So that is my lightning round. Shazadam. I have I have a dopey question, but my mom always said there isn't such a thing. If she's oh. the ex ex Mr. Sinister, I mean, 
a real divorce? Were there papers? How did this? No, what apocalypse. Happened? How did they? Apocalypse. Oh, Ms. Apocalypse. Okay. So how did, how yes, did this all? When did they marry and when did it break and why? I need to. I well, need to they were married millennia ago. Okay. Um, but then she, as part of her little Iraqan thing, they were basically on the front lines of this like like never ending war. Whereas gotcha. he was here trying to the whole, his whole role, his whole role yeah. in this whole House of X, Powers of Ten thing was, and then we get the X of Swords, was basically to reunite with them again, to sort of bring them forward, to bring these lost people forward. And that's what and I remember after X of Swords, he and Genesis walked off into the sunset together. That's why Apocalypse right. okay. left. Yep. Well. She Jeez. found out he he has known that Araco has sort of take, chosen peace. His objective, as he said, was it was always everything he did was to find peace for Arakans. For Arakans was to steer them toward a peaceful peaceful existence. And she's like, no, 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 no. Wait a minute, I don't like no <laughs> punk bitches. <laughs> and so she's basically okay. just like. She's basically just like no. So she was kind of pissed. He lied to her. She she ran him through with a sword a few times, and uh, you know good, he died. A good thing. But of course he came back to life because he just does. Yeah. Um, and then he she took her own little special little gate that she created from. I can't remember what it was. I, I know it's in there somewhere. Her own little gate, and next thing you know, she's walking on Mars, heading towards uh, Storm and crew to basically so she, let them know. So she got the house, is what we're saying. Basically, she got yeah, it all. Yeah, yeah, she, yeah. She got it all. She shut him down. She was just like, "I'm not worried about you. Come for me if you want to." He tried, and she's yeah. just like, "Snip, snip, snip." Next, love it, <laughs> love like, it. Um, yeah. So, and you know, he's like, "I still love you though," and uh, sent oh, her on her way to go do what yeah. she he knows she's going to do. Um, but it basically, I don't want to say rewrote, but it basically. I guess gave more layers to all the stuff that Apocalypse has been in theory doing over the years. So basically it was all intended to sort of eventually reach a place of peace. I guess his way of going about it though mm -hmm. was a little extreme. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of where yeah. we are. Okay. Uh, I also want to chat into your new mutants thing. Count Nefaria, it was mm -hmm. just a gangster when we first saw him. But I guess it was under Roger Stern and John Byrne doing the Avengers. He powered up Mm -hmm. to, to being someone who could take on the Avengers all by himself as Gravitron, right? Mm -hmm. So is that what he's looking to get back to? So, yeah, he talks about throughout the entire sort of mini here that, you know, he and he references the events that basically kind of neutered, neutered him, where his, his powers were sort of diminished. Um, and he realizes that he's not as strong as he once was. His objective now is to <laughs> to use a a convention at a place in New York called the Chavitz Center, <laughs> to uh, <laughs> to uh to reverse his situation um but he he mis he didn't listen to some warnings from scientists and you know miscalculated a few things so there might be some farther reaching impacts to mm. his plan if he if he executes them um which you know was exactly that he would execute a, basically all of midtown manhattan um and you know the new mutants are really kind of bummed out by that yeah, I think the people of Midtown Manhattan would object too. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, they have no folks, idea what's going you know, Yeah. Unfortunately, they don't. Know, they they have no idea that all of it's happening. Um, mm. Somehow, they're all cut off. The uh, the new mutants are cut off from Krakoa. They can't. 
something is blocking oh. them. They can't, they can't mm. reach out. So basically they're on their own. With Morgan, whose mutant powers, he can turn anything organic into chocolate. Well, <laughs> if you turn Count Nefaria to chocolate, is it's that over. His, is that their only power? That is, his, that is their mutant power, yeah. Um, and Scout at the end is just like, this is so cool. So-and-so pooped. Can you turn that to chocolate? <laughs> and she goes, ooh, chocolate scat. I was like, all right. Okay, someone went too far. Editorial should have caught that. This is but, in Lethal uh, Legion? Is it Lethal Legion? Yes. yes. Yeah. All right. I'm all right. That I'm sold. I was on the fence for a second. He's like chocolate scat. Should I wait for it to be collected in trade? Because I only have the first issue. I read it and enjoyed it, and I just tried looking it up while you were talking. And all the issues are still like three ninety nine and four ninety nine a piece. Probably, probably wait. Um, I mean, it's because it's going to make a really, really good run. A really, really good. You know, sounds like it. Yeah. All right. It's just fun. I've got other questions for you. Well, I have one. Uh, let me throw one quick one in, Steve. Go ahead, Bob. Can Can Morgan turn the lethal lethal legion into a Whitman sampler? You know, I guess if Just they say. wanted uh, to take that approach, uh, <laughs> good. But to, uh, I don't know. But because at one point I thought maybe I misread that somewhere because I could swear I had read earlier that their power was turning anything to chocolate. But then I, they don't really mention it a whole lot until towards the end. I'm like, nope, I did hear that right. Yeah, I did hear that. Okay, anything uh, organic into chocolate. Chocolate. I, I was like, because like, uh, I think that's part of the that's part of a little bit of the the rift between he. Well, I'm sorry, them and. Uh, uh, Sheila, uh, in that, you know, Sheila's got this really cool power where where she can literally swap places with someone. And it's not like, all right, Steve's over there and Bob's over there and they swap places. No, it's like she can become their existence. Like whatever, cool. you know, it will just be, you know, like if, if, if Bob had the power and executed it, Bob would then become a writer for Joe Blow and do all these. So all those things and have access mm -hmm. to whatever Steve has access to. Um, and the world around would just believe that's always been the case. You know, it's that's just a hell of it, a power. That's amazing. Yeah. So it, it's a really interesting power the way they play it up. Um, but yeah, it's there's I, I definitely hope we see these characters some more. So yeah, something I, I say. I say check it out. I'm about to send you something in the chat. Steve, I'm sorry. I jumped in. What do you got? Uh, well, we were talking about Miles Morales before we started recording, and so I have a Miles Morales question. Go ahead. I have issues one through five of the new run, and then a few issues after that. Again, these are also full price. Um, the Carnage stuff comes up. Can yeah. I skip those? No. Uh, I don't feel like reading an event tie-in, man. I don't, yeah. There, I'm, I'm going to say for you, yes. And just if you have questions, <laughs> ask me. Because there's some of the nuances of, of what he's going through. Uh, is sort of don't spoken about in there, but it's not it's not pivotal and central. No, no, now I gotta read it. 
I'm wondering if I should wait for it to be collected. Uh, my other question for you is we have the we have the the next gala already. I how often do they have these things? Is this an annual X Men event? Too often, too often would be the snarky answer. No, I just I feel like every time I turn around, there's another mm-hmm. X Men gala, Hellfire gala happening. I can tell you what that. I don't know, but there's a, there's another one this coming week. This week, actually. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. I think it's 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 annual. I think it's that time of the year again. I think that's nuts. Because uh, isn't this where they? And I apologize. I was trying to. I was away for a second because I was trying to send you guys things to see what I was talking about with. How dare uh, you. Um, but this is usually where they. Basically, it's like <laughs> Dallas Cowboy cheerleader auditions every year. They figure out who the <laughs> who the new lineup yeah, of X Men. Basically, that's what they've done in the last several uh, galas. It's like, okay, we're going to introduce you to this year's X-Men. And that's literally what happens. My question for the X-Men stuff is, is there such thing as a jumping on point with that stuff? Because whenever we ask the question about, you know, what should I be reading to be up with the X-Men? There's at least three titles in the pool. It's X-Men, X-Men Red, and then probably X Force or some random Immortal. Well, Immortal and X. Okay, Immortal. There. <laughs> okay, there you go. So my question is, like, if the Hellfire Gala is supposed to be this big X event, can somebody that hasn't been reading stuff jump onto the book with Hell the Hellfire Gala, or is there just way think, too much going on right now? No, I think you probably could jump on with the Hellfire Gala because I think it'll sort of, it's, it, it generally, unless I'm misremembering, it generally happens sort of in between arcs. So I think you could probably jump on. Now, they'll probably reference things from previous arcs, but, you know, since none of us are here from the, since the beginning of comics, it, we all figure out how to pick up and move on anyway. So I think you'll be able to sort of pick up. Um, and if you have questions, just ask, you know, it's, but yeah, I think you'll be able to pick up at least for, I, I will say if they follow suit uh, the way they have in the past, I, you'll at least be able to pick up with the X-Men proper book. Cause they usually is the, a point where they, they sort of not reset, but they, they start new. Um, they start with a new team or someone else is joining the team or something like that. And that's also, remember the Hellfire Gal is also where some big event happens that sort of is what kicks off the next Right. The next few arcs. So I would say, yeah, it's probably. All right. You know what? I am. I'm going to do it. I'm going to add that to my list. Wow. I'm telling I'm you. Doing it now. X-Men is the shit. I know. I, I miss Bob, it. I, but I just, I feel like I can't get back on board because I've been away for a, probably about a year and a half at this point. And that just feels like so much mm-hmm. that I've missed. Mm-hmm. Like I, I've, not been making a lot of time for comics lately just because there's been one thing or the other happening or i've been reading novels and stuff like that and the idea of trying to catch up with the x-men on top of the other things that i'm reading for the show i just i can't even begin it's i think i'm with with x-men the way you guys were with um batman for a while Uh, i'm not reading that right now either where, where there are so many batman books coming out yeah 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 I, I legit, but I will say, in the X Men's defense, I will say they have re after that little stretch of where we were just like, hmm, I don't know if that, have they lost their magic. They've settled, 
Yeah. They've settled in. Yeah. Everyone has settled in and they have really created this very well-connected universe. But each of those books that we mentioned before has its own identity. They're all connected. Right. The things that are happening in one definitely impacts the other, but you will not be lost in a book. Like if you only read Immortal X-Men, you would still get a very good story. But if you read Immortal X-Men and X-Men Red, you have additional context as to, well, shit, she's got this going on. Storm's got this going on over here, but she's also got that going on over there. And blah, 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 blah. And then you throw an X-Force and you're just like, but damn, uh, Pietro's sitting on the quiet council. Meanwhile, that mofo, you know, is being, uh, you know, mind controlled. Uh, It's just there's, there's layers and different connections that are there, but they each have their own identity. So, yeah. But it, it does sound like real connections as opposed to a panel or two of, oh, this is also happening, which we uh-huh. see way too much of in some of these event books. No, you'll see, there are definitely weeks where you'll see Storm in every single book, you know, doing something different. But, like, there's one issue of Immortal where she's just like, I got to go. I got I to gotta get back to Mars. And then you see her in, in X-Men Red arriving at, back at Mars. Okay. Yeah, it, it's just that thing. Yeah, it's they've they've done a really it took them a while to sort of settle back again and sort of get that get their footing, but they got it back and they've been sort of and they connect they keep connecting all the different parts and pieces, the stories there there you have Sinister still out there. Well, there's some version of Sinister. There's like he he none of them know who the original is anymore. So there's so many of them out there. You got Mother Righteous doing her thing, but they're still connected with Orcus, and that's in the 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 other book. Then you got um, you got in the Sins of Sinister book, but then you got Orcus is still the main driver in the X-Men book, and then you got the X-Force book, which is also about Orcus, but then you got Moira, and it's just all wait, these wait, Moira's, Moira's still around? I thought she used up all her lives at this point. Wait a minute. Oh, no, no, no. Moira's no? still alive. Moira was a, okay. Moira, I don't, I don't know, for anyone who wants to read uh, Sins of Sinister, Moira was a critical character there Um, in the end. uh, Yeah, Moira's still around. Moira she, is she, still started this, she started this whole thing, right? If we go started all, this whole all thing, the and then they gave her yeah. the boot. She started yes. the company, and then they voted her out. <laughs> <laughs> she was pissed. You're fired. Then, here's the thing. I hate to say it. I know I'm going to sound like a, it's like a Thanos Uh-oh. is right now person. <sighs> Moira was maybe right when she said, "Put a bullet in Celine's head and uh, and uh, Irene's head." Yes. Yeah, he said y'all should get rid of her now. No, at the time it was y'all should make sure she is not resurrected because uh, Mystique was doing all these machinations in the background mm-hmm. to make sure that she gets resurrected, and they were just like, "Nah, we don't want to do that." Uh, but they were outwitted, and Moira kept saying, "You two, Charles Magneto, you guys have to stop her because you know, not to mention." Irene basically did tell her in a previous life that you are going to die and I'm going to be the one that kills yes. you. Um, was that life four or whatever it was? Yeah, it was like no. halfway through. Yeah. That run or, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And so I can't lie. There's a party was just like, I think she might have been right. <laughs> I think you all have a new shirt. Moira was right. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. her in the love dirt. It. You yeah. should have kept Irene in the dirt. You know, I, yeah. <laughs> She's causing too many problems. She shouldn't be walking around. Man. And now, after all that, her own wife is kind of like, I'm kind of over you. 
She's like, she's kind of like, yeah, you pissed me off because you uh, you made mutant kind go through a thousand years of hell because it was the only hell that I existed in. And you thought that was fair? Because uh, she saw fair in any point. other instance that Mystique died. And she's like, well, in this version, this probability, you'll eventually die, but you'll live X number of thousands of years <laughs> before you die. And I'll have you then. And I'm like, that that's not cool. So, yeah. Anyway, that's my long-winded plot fighting around. Shazadam. If there's anything that we talk about on this show that I have severe FOMO for, it's the X stuff. Like, whenever you and John and Joey talk about it, it sounds like you're having so much fun. And I'm like, man, I remember when I was part of the club. (laughs) Jump back in, man. I should. I'm going to. I'm going to pick up the gala and uh, see if I can... uh, I'll do some research and see how far behind I really am. Cause I was definitely collecting a bunch of those things uh, without reading them for a while. So I might have more than I think I do. We'll find out. We, we can find a way to get you some things to read. Ah, <laughs> I like your, uh, you're talking my language here. That's all I'm saying. It's all he's saying folks. It's all he's saying. Nothing incriminating here. Nope. Mind your business. But. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think I'm going to go next because I think Bob's stuff is going to segue us nice into our news section. Oh, okay. So I'm going to dazzle you all with some words about comic books. So at long last, a vicious circle, number two, hit the stands. The first one came out in January. Yeah. Like, immediately after we were done doing our awards presentations, I read it. I absolutely loved it. I've seen Lee Bermijo's art in the past, like on Batman covers and so on and so forth. But kind of never really saw or forgot just how versatile and amazing their artwork is. Anyway, I'll get to that later. Uh, This is written by Mattson Tomlin. Illustrated by Lee Bermijo with colors for pages 14 through 21 by Grant Galish uh, with letters by Becca Carey. So this is from the solicit and then I'll get to my stuff. Uh, Sean Thacker is a trained assassin from the future who seeks revenge on the only other man with his affliction. Each life they take forces them both to involuntarily travel between vastly different past and future eras. Spanning from 22nd century Tokyo to 1950s New Orleans to the uh, Cretaceous era and beyond, the two mortal rivals are locked in a battle of wills that spans millions of years, all to alter the course of history. With each time period, legendary artist Lee Bermijo adjusts his artistic style to pay homage to luminary comics artists and historical master painters presented in a prestige oversized format. Yo, this book is not only like one of the most engaging reads I've ever come across. It is positively gorgeous, gorgeous. So this book, uh, issue number two, I'm going to try not to spoil too, too much, opens up with uh, a nasty looking predator looking to make a meal of our time traveling hero. And while devising a plan to outsmart the beast, Sean starts to question his whereabouts. 
is he the only human alive in this era? If killing animals doesn't trigger the time travel, he's done experiments, it doesn't. How can he progress through the timeline? Is he stuck saving his bacon from dinosaurs until the end of time? We don't know for a portion of this issue, and it's beautifully rendered, really interesting, and I I just I love it. This issue has everything that I loved about the first, plus dinosaurs. If that's not a winning combination, I don't know what is. Uh, once again, the art is positively jaw-dropping. Bermijo's style is somewhere between photorealistic and like a classic EC horror vibe to it. Uh, the fact that he's able to change his style to emulate so many classic looks with each time jump is nothing short of incredible. There is a a montage, if you will, to harken back to the, the Barbie Ken montage, where Sean and the guy, the dude that he's chasing that also has the ability, they're, they're tied to one another. Their powers work in synchronicity with one another. They basically go on a killing spree. Sean is... Uh, chasing him through time and space. And this guy is a killer that he's after. And so the, the the killer is just offing people in one era or another, somebody on a train, somebody in an alley, somebody uh, on a centurion battlefield, like wherever they are, he's trying to run from Sean by taking people out. And with each time jump to a different place, to a different era, the art completely and in some cases very drastically changes and it's Bermijo doing the whole thing and just the the versatility and the artistry on display throughout these issues is nothing short of incredible uh if nothing else this issue has me doubling down on my claim that a vicious circle is hands down one of the best comics of the year uh i hope i don't have to wait six months for the next and final <laughs> chapter it's only a three-parter uh so if you want to wait for the trade to be collected it might be in another year or so but it'll be worth it it's it's a ride um and even if it does take that long i don't care so long as they they finish it up i have to imagine that the artwork alone in this it just takes months and months and months and months to even with all the preparation in the world it is just a force to be reckoned with uh, art-wise. Fantastic. What else do I have for you? Uh, I don't have any notes for this one, but I do have some positive words. I read Hawk Girl number one. This is a new book from DC written by Jadzia Axelrod, uh, drawn, drawn by Amon K. Uh, Nahopan, and colors by Adriana Lucas, and letters by Hassan Atsmani uh, Elhau. Sorry, probably butchering that name. Um, this is... Kendra coming back to DC after what sounds like a lot happening in their life and pretty much still hanging around with her superhero friends, but at the same time, kind of being alone. The The book harkens back to Kendra kind of in a fetal position on the floor, really going through it. Um, the idea that she has so many lifetimes that are are lived throughout her time being there all at once she makes some kind of comment about uh superman's like we don't want you to be lonely we're worried about you and she's like dude i've got all these lifetimes in my head screaming at me at all times i am never lonely um oh yeah this is 
this book is dense. It's got layers to it. It's kind of it's kind of starts with a little bit of a fairy tale vibe or a folklore vibe with stories about princesses and foxes and a deal like a, a demonic deal being made between um I, what I can only imagine is a witch or a demon and uh, a little girl. And basically, if you wear this locket, I'll grant you a wish. And then when the time is, has come and I come to collect, you'll have to, you know, serve my uh, my do my bidding for me, if you will. And it turns out that the locket that she was given is made of nth metal. And oh, of course. by her living her life while wearing the locket, she has kind of charged it. And so she's inadvertently become a living battery for this device that she's been building for the better part of like, you know, 40 years, 50 years. Uh, and it's got something to do with Kendra. And I guess we'll find out more about that in the, the next issue. But um, this also, this issue also introduces galaxy has her own uh, graphic novel, but Jadzia is bringing galaxy into the DC universe in this issue. And they're an absolutely outstanding character. Their powers are really cool. They pal around with a Corgi, which is super entertaining. Um, there's new characters being introduced here. Uh, some of them are very charming and I'm, I'm looking forward to, to getting to know them more. Uh, there's a great page with Batman just being the most Batman ass Batman that you could possibly imagine yeah. with him basically uh, giving Kendra information about Galaxy and she's like, do you know anything about her? And he's like, you know, not much. And then just launches into this entire history of the character. And Kendra's like, that's not much. He's like, shut up. It's awesome. Um, oh, my cat's going crazy. I might have to mute myself and go and let her in. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a great start. It's got a great energy to it. Um, like I said, it's got layers. There's, there's a, there's a darkness and there's a complication going on within Kendra that I'm eager to learn more about. I'm not very familiar with the character, I'd say at all. And if this is my introduction to her, I'm I'm really happy about that. And I'm looking forward to seeing what Jedzia and the team uh, can do with this. There seems to be a lot of uh, like positive vibes behind it. I'm sorry if you can hear my cat going crazy. I'm going to let no, her in. No, we can't. No, no, we anyway, can't. talk to me. I'm done. I actually haven't had a chance to read it. I bought it, but I haven't had a chance to read it. I've only dipped into Kendra every now and again, part of her Justice League stuff and a little bit. She was a part of something else before. I can't remember what it was, but I remember. I actually feel like she popped in and out throughout the the new fifty two. To be honest with you, um, I think I, you're right. I, Did she? And I'm I'm wholly yeah. unfamiliar with the character, so I could be yeah. I could be totally out of my league here. She's been yeah, she's been around. I actually, while you were talking, I posted something that because I knew the book was coming out, I was just like searching through. I saw something on YouTube, and it gives the story of Hawkman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like really and how many pages is that <laughs> it's it's a seven minute video and they even say yeah. they, don't, they don't even get it all but just the craziness of the hawks you know in the dc universe between all the crises and all that stuff i i don't think anyone will completely understand or or i don't think anyone can completely say they know any of the hawks entirely because things have been retconned and crisis in and out and um, this person was that person's son, and this person was so and so, and this was actually their reincarnator, whoever. It's just it becomes this whole convoluted thing. Um, but I definitely I think she came 
I think the current incarnation of her was during the the first Scott Snyder thing, the the metal thing, whatever those metals death, were, death metal, whatever the first Dark one they metal was, yeah, yeah, because it was a whole death metal thing going with that, yeah. right? I think yeah. she was actually sort of incarnated again there uh, and became who she is now. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to sort of seeing what what's up. I do have to admit, I have to go back and read post the last a little bit post the last justice league because so much has happened to the justice league after they so after their so-called last issue they died they died yeah. aaron come yeah. on you don't Again. buy that you know? mm. they died <laughs> once a quarter uh so <laughs> i i hate to say it they i mean honestly they die and get resurrected more than mutants they really do yes they so you know, I I do have to go back and, and pick up, I guess, some Teen Titan stuff to and, and Nightwing stuff to really see what's going on there. But I'm looking forward to it. Uh, uh, to me, the, the Kendra, the, the Hulk girl, that's resonated the most is from the cartoons. Yeah, mm-hmm. they made a choice back then in those Justice League cartoons to really elevate her to the place she needed to be, and we also got lots of John Stewart. Then they made some really smart choices. I was going to say so, that was Shaira, though, not Kendra, which is, but then they're also. Oh, was it? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And the, see, yeah, and the, and the cartoons. Yeah, the cartoons that was Shaira, which is, again, why I'm saying there's, I don't think anyone I'm, can say. I'm confused that. already then. There we go. Yeah, there's Shaira Hall, then there's Kendra, who I think their their incarnations are there, but I don't know. It's all very. Oh, so, so was Kendra in uh, Legends of Tomorrow? Yes. The TV yeah, show? She is. Okay. Yeah. That's what I'm confusing. Okay. But yeah, the Justice League cartoon that Shariah Hall, and there was actually an episode of Justice League Unlimited where they sort of, they sort of investigate the past lives thing. It's just I think it's become a sort of like inside joke where, where the Hawks are concerned because if you watch this video, he's just like I know it's dumb. It's just the dumbest thing ever. And then it got to a point where I guess I guess there was some art, some creator who wanted to add. Hawkman to a team and DC uh, editorial was just like, no, we have effed up that character so badly that I don't even want to go back into trying to figure out how to fix it. So no, you can't, you can't use him. So I think, I guess that's where Azriel came from or whatever that, or Ezekiel, yeah. whatever. That. Mm-hmm. Um, they said, that's why they were brought in because they wanted, he still wanted to use a Grant Morrison. It was Grant Morrison. They still wanted to use a, Hawkman like character, but DC would not let not, them use that again. You're just like, sorry, we we have convoluted this character. We have done so much to this character that we've lost track of what we've done. So no, we we're not going to bring him up again. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, to jump ahead, DC in October is doing some JSA books. Maybe it's easily let Jeff Johns take a shot at Hawkman and Hawk Girl. Mm-hmm. My Maybe he under- can sort it out. I th- my understanding was because they had a wasn't there a Hawkman book a couple years ago. My yes. understanding is I was when this is back when I was listening to that other podcast. Oh. Uh, at times, uh, they actually tried to fix a lot of the history and then gave them gave the Hawks man and girl, and I think it was a Sayera version an opportunity to figure out where i guess all of their the reincarnation cycle ended i guess so i don't think they reincarnate anymore but they got an opportunity to be 
dropped in a point in time where I, I'm if a listener can correct me, please do. But I remember they got, they ended up being back with the JSA. Um, and so that's kind of where they were. <laughs> that's the stop they got off on the, uh, the, okay. uh, uh, on the F train. Yeah. Train. Okay. Um, so, but I, I, I may be confusing a kind of little bit. I do remember hearing about how that was supposed to sort of, I don't know, serve the purpose of trying to straighten out that whole timeline thing. Okay. Well, we have we have a we have a new Alan Scott Green Lantern book coming, a new Jake Garrick Flash with his daughter, and a Sandman story. I think it, the Hawks would be great to re-explore. That's another with, character. The Flash. Those speedsters are another thing that there's too many of them. <laughs> I'm sorry, there's too many of them. Between the quicks and the this and the blue that the blue this or the what I I can't. There's too many of them. Anyway, that's just me on my little rant. So you've got you you have a copy of Hawk Girl number one, right? Yes. I just haven't read it read it yet. Yeah, I think I think you'll really enjoy it. I like I said, it's got layers to it. I think it's got stuff that it wants to say outside of just your, you know, garden variety super heroics. Uh there's stuff about gender fluidity in here, independence, repositioning of Kendra as a character in the DC universe. So I think that Jedzy is on a mission to really make a, a splash with this and make it matter. Cool. So I'll be I'll be reading this one for yeah. sure. It's the first DC yeah. book that I've picked up uh, outside of reading stuff on DC Infinite. So nice. Take take that for got, what you, you will. You got me intrigued, Steve. I'll be looking this week for hopefully it's still on the shelf. Yeah, it's great. It's uh it's a good start. It's a promising promising start for sure. Um, sorry, I'm on cat duty. She is. You're on cat duty? Yep. That's somebody turned it into chocolate. <laughs> All right. Um, I did I read a book too. I'll just quickly note just for my own sake. Uh I mentioned Lavender House by uh oh my god. Give me a second. Lev A. C. Rosen. There you go. Uh that was the detectives novel that I read. Mm-hmm. I, I read the second one and it was just as good, if not better, than the first. So the Evander Mills series, definitely be on the lookout for it. It's called The Bell in the Fog. Well, what a and, great title. Yeah, and it it just it does exactly what you want a sequel to do in that it expands the character, it expands that world, it expands the cast, it introduces another great mystery. Um, she's climbing the curtains. I was uh <laughs> I was guessing until literally the last page as to what was going on. And it was really, really satisfying uh, from beginning to end. I highly, highly recommend checking out uh, Lev A.C. Rosen's stuff. Um, I've read two books so far and they were both fantastic. Uh, That was an advanced copy of The Bell in the Fog. So I'm not entirely sure Mm -hmm. when it comes out for the public, but um, maybe if I see it on shelves, I'll remind the audience to go and check it out. But in the meantime, go and read Lavender House. It's awesome. Now, I'm, I'm going to combine two of your things into one right now. Go, for, I'm going to go for it. Um, you're reading a lot of novels now. And I, I haven't read novels really for a very long time. Just pick and choose here and there. Read Dracula for Halloween or whatever. Before getting involved with our friend Nikki Torres' book club and now the other one I was in. So themes of a vicious circle and the fact you're reading novels one of the books that i i read recently is called una out of order by margarita montemore it's about this young woman who uh 
it's New Year's Eve, 1982, and she's deciding, does she go to school in England, take a trip and study, or stay with her current boyfriend and join a band and go on tour, so on and so forth. She falls asleep and wakes up. It's years and years later, but she's still the age she was. And every year on New Year's Eve, she bops into another part of her life. Still care, She's still her 19, 20, 21-year-old self. That works chronologically. And she brings some of her knowledge with her, but she also writes notes to herself. It is this weirdly fractured book, and you love and hate Una. The people around her are really interesting. And as you read the book out of order, the, 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 the structure of what her life is falls apart, comes back together. It's sad. It's funny. It's heartbreaking. It's tons of music from... 80s and 90s in New York and clubs and, and stuff like that, Steve. So I think you'd love it. Um, it is well-written. It is frustrating because Una is a regular person. She's not the typical narrator of a book who has it all figured out instantly. Well, she figures some stuff out and messes up so much other stuff that you're shaking your fist at the book. So like, how do you <laughs> do that? How stupid are you? You know this is going to happen. And I'm not going to spoil it, but boy, it's a really, really great book. It just was a lot of fun. And it ties into the themes of A Vicious Circle, I think. So awesome. I enjoy it. Yeah, that's cool. I um, yeah, I picked up another book last night. I'm trying to divide my time because um, I'm really enjoying getting back into novels. Um, I'm reading A Flicker in the Dark by Stacey Willingham. Hmm. Can't really tell you what it's about yet because I didn't read the synopsis. I just kind of dove in. Turns out that there is a bunch of free stuff to read if you have the uh, Amazon Kindle app. So nice, taking advantage yeah, they, of that. They keep throwing me things like you could download this on your Kindle. Well, no, I can't. We um, we well, I say we Bronwyn got um accepted. Uh, basically, she made a contact through Diamond when she went to ALA, and so now we're on their graphic novel uh list. So anything nice. that they that they ship, uh, we now have access to, which is pretty cool. Oh my god! I need yeah. to let her out. I'm gonna mute you guys for a second. Yeah. Talk amongst yourselves. Yes. Well, well, Aaron, we were talking novels. Oh, Aaron's is he back. muted? He's not back. He's muted. All right, I'll stay with you for a second. She might yeah. meow her um, ass off though. The, the the book we read last week for the Sunday Fun Day book club was Alex Segura's Secret Identity, mm -hmm. which is set in the 1970s in the New York City comic book industry as a woman tries to break into the business and it's a murder mystery that nice. also makes side trips into CBGBs and the punk scene as well as the comic scene. And yeah, look, I I, I don't want to say I'd given up novels. I'd given up on me, I guess, because they're, they're $30 a shot, uh, nothing else. My library has been a great resource. But it, it is... Yeah, exercise different muscles, right? When you're reading a novel as opposed to a graphic novel or a comic book. I you, have... you create the world in you, right? And did you find your, your visual sense because you're an artist creating crazy? I mean, yes and no, I think. Okay. I mean, like Bronwyn reads, she reads so ridiculously fast. She's read almost, I think it might even be over 200 books so far this year. She Whoa. keeps she keeps the running. Oh, she read like 140, like three months into the year. The last time that I checked, she keeps a running list. 
Um, I am a very visual person when I read, but I find my memory for characters and what they look like to be very spotty. So I can picture scenery and locations, but I always draw kind of a blank uh, with the characters. Oh my God, this cat. <laughs> Give me one second, Bob. Yeah. All right, I had to step out for a second, folks, but we're coming back to the conversation in three, two, one. Visualizations. I already said this, I'll say it again. It's the characters that I, I can't picture. I find that a couple of uh, authors, they either, they describe the character that you're following once or not at all and because they kind of want it to be up for interpretation and for you to insert yourself into that character um for the lavender house and the bell in the fog i picture evander mills as kind of a 1950s ryan gosling type it's just okay. what i get like i think of his character from drive with like a, a fedora and a trench coat yeah. And that's kind of what I get out of it. But these books have a really, really eclectic cast of people like this. The majority of the Bell in the Fog takes place in a uh, queer bar uh, where there's like burlesque and singers and dancers and everything like that called the Ruby. And it is it takes place in a time where being queer could like lead to your ruin people find out about it it's extremely frowned upon people die for it and you mean like yesterday sure yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and evander is a, a ex ex navy and uh now a ex cop because he was discovered uh during a raid on a gay club and they found him and beat the shit out of him and fired him and now he's working as a PI, uh, working queer cases out of the Ruby. And it's this whole, this club and this world, this nightclub world that this mystery takes place in and all these different places that you're traveling to in this city. Uh, and just the way they operate and the people that come and go through these things, the people that were involved in this mystery, there's a lot more suspects in this one than the first one. And uh, I just... I love a good whodunit. I love putting the pieces together. So anyway, Bob, I'm going to ask you to do your lightning round. I've got to jump out for just a second, but if you want to get going, uh, feel free and I'll hop in. How's it damn? Yes. So starting off, Blade Number 1 by Brian Hill, Elena Casagrande, Jordi Belair, and Joe Sabino. Just a super fun first issue, what with a couple of excellent action sequences, just, you know, classic Casa Grande stuff. And a setup that's, well, it's a setup. Blade has taken on a mission to protect a young woman named Dana Smith, who has found herself the target of some very dangerous occult forces. And anything else I say here would be spoilery, so you're, you're on your own here. You read, read it. Okay. The art by Ms. Casagrande, Ms. Belair was was all the hook I needed to start this series, quite obviously, after uh, Elena's work on Black Widow and Jordy's on everything. Mm -hmm. Mr. Hill's story, reading it here, sealed the deal moving forward. It's a blade we can recognize from the various books. There's some edge to what he does. It's dark and funny and action-packed and blade number one i hope it lasts a long time 
Uh, in Harley Screws Up the DCU by Frank Thierry, Logan Faber, and Ferran Delgado, we finally get to the Pearls in the Alley moment uh -oh. as Harley's meta tour through superhero origins has her in Gotham on that night and by that theater, and things go from bad to worse to worst case scenario. As both Harleys, because we have multiversal Harleys here, they find a way to continually muck up history. Now, to be concluded, it says, as the tease, which is really sad, because I could see myself buying this for at least another six past whatever this finale is, and especially considering they all come with wonderful covers by Amanda Connor and Jimmy Palmiotti, and here it's Harley beating the snot out of Joey Chill with pearls and popcorn on the street corner. It's just... Mm. And mm. The, 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 uh, the, the... And you don't see many word balloons on covers anymore, right? But this one is not only did you try to steal that nice lace necklace, you made me spill my popcorn, says Harley. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> like, come on. It's, uh, uh, there's a lot of Harley around. I, I, I know she's really popular, and, and the show's coming back, which is great. Uh, this book and the regular Harley right now are just absolutely killing it. So kudos to everyone. Now, nice. speaking of covers, as I just did, uh, my friend Frank at my local comics store, he threw... Poison Ivy Uncovered into my file. And for, for which he got a huge thank you for me and, well, six bucks because, well, it's DC. That was money well spent as this collects a whole bunch of the really stellar variant covers that would have been near impossible to get, not to mention very expensive to buy. So... To just mention some of the names involved doing the covers here. Zoe Thorogood, Tula Lote, Jenny Frizen, Stefan Shayet, Christian Ward, Dan Mora, Hermonico, oh, wow. Sweeney Boo, Amy Reader, and Terry and Rachel Dodson. Okie dokie. Uh, right? I so mean, murderer's row right there. There's also a fun framing. Olive Artist Island. Yeah, and I, I'm gonna believe me. This book is in my go-to pile to bring to the con with me because I, I can, I can make this. Our, our friend Melissa Megan always has a sketchbook. Mm -hmm. This is my sketchbook. I <laughs> just have people sign my poison ivy. A non-stop, yeah. one-stop shop. And just go right around. I don't, have, I don't have to carry forty pounds of books around like I usually do. Uh, now, there's also a, a framing sequences by Jessica Burbay, and it's art by Claire Rowe, letters and design by, by Kay Lupez, that really ties everything together in a really fun, entertaining way. So, yes, it's a cover gallery for $6. The seven or eight pages of other stuff really works to pull it all together. And all, if all you did was skim through it and fan through it, You'd, you'd be good to go for six bucks. Read the book. It's even better. So uh, thanks to Frank at Long Island Comics, because I would not have gotten this otherwise. And I guess nice. he needed my six bucks. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> he he thinks good. of me in these, in these moments. That's why I've been going there since, oh, boy, 1981. Same Yikes. store. Sorry, Joey, you've got no stores. I've been going to the same store since 1981. Damn. He's not even here, and he's catching it. He's catching getting <laughs> some shade, getting some shade. Now, um, Steve is sort of back, so this is good. Yeah, now, I had I've, to take care of an inconsolable cat. It's like living with a, teen, a bratty teenager. 
Okay, perfect. Now, Steve, if you can, I I need our timestamp for right here. I mean, it says one twenty-five, but it's probably a okay. few minutes off. Okay, one hour twenty-five or one hundred and twenty-five minutes. I mean, no, an hour, an hour and twenty-five minutes, something okay. like that. Okay. Because thanks to Michael Kraus at Foundry Communications, I had the chance to check out the restored new 3D edition of the cult classic Robot Monster. Lovely <laughs> put back together by Bob Fermanick and his team at the 3D Film Archive, released by Bayview Entertainment. I guarantee that this movie has never looked this good, even in its original theatrical release. Now, here at home, I only could watch it in the Anaglyph 3D presentation. That's the old red-green kind of thing. You know, you get at 7-Eleven, right? Oh, yeah. I remember those days. Right. And even that, I have never seen such depth of field on 3D movie, not even in brand new films in the theater. I can hardly wait to see what this is going to look like when I bring it to my friend Ed and Dawn's for our drive-in movie night, where it will be projected on the big screen in the true 3D with the polarized glass that you got to plug in, whatever. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and, look, and by the way, the, the 2D version is included here as well, and it's just as gorgeous in terms of a restoration. Uh, also, over two hours of bonus features on the making of, the, 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 the restoration, even a, a 3D comic book slideshow. And, and look, as the robot monster itself, despite its inclusion in the rather odious Medved Brothers books, 50 Worst Movies, Golden Turkey Awards, I've always found it to be quite enjoyable, if certainly really, really bizarre and a, a thing of its time. Quickly and non-spoilery, the plot goes like this. A mom and her son and daughter, and they encounter a scientist and his assistant while on a walk. After some tumult, Roman, an alien intent on wiping out humanity shows up and just saying, He's a gorilla in a space helmet. Okay. Now, I, I, I got to agree, that that's nuts. But screenwriter Wyatt Odung and director Phil Tucker, well, they hide a twist that we used to great effect in the classic 53 Invaders from Mars by William Cameron Menzies, just saying, if you know that movie. And a lot of people, uh, and that in, uh, includes... <sighs> a, 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 lot of, a lot of reviewers tend to miss this point and just say it's all terrible and this and this. Now, this is still a mess in a lot of ways, but considering it had a four-day shooting schedule on a $16,000 budget in 1953, it's much more watchable than, say, um, The Flash. And it, turned, wow. and, it turned, and it turned a greater profit, too, as Robot, Robot Monster with its original release and then a couple of re-releases and got sold to another company. It may have turned, according to some reports, over a million dollars, which is 62 times its budget. And for the Flash to do that, it would have had to take in $12.5 billion. What? Well, James. Just saying. So big thanks to Michael Krause, Bob Fermanick, and everyone at Bayview. I had a great time with this, and I'll be sharing this with other folks moving forward. Love me some Robot Monster. <laughs> so you watched a much better version than my crappy uh youtube cut. youtube version yes yeah. yes <laughs> oh it's still the same crappy movie at a certain point but again 
it, it, Steve watched 45 minutes of it. Yeah, and about do you, that. Do, yeah. you care if I, do you care if I spoil where we're going here? Please. Okay. There's the, the little boy in the movie. He sees the scientist. And he's with his mom and his two sisters. And he, he's, he's wearing a space helmet himself. He has a ray gun. He's hunting down aliens. Most he's annoying ray gun on the face of the earth. But yes, yes, go ahead. But we all had one back then. I had one of those. Oh, man. The sound of that thing. It's the first thing you hear when this movie starts. And I was just like, oh, my God. Tell gun. me now. Um, the little boy in question is running around and falls and gets hurt. We then cut to all of a sudden there's Roman, this gorilla in a in a space helmet, and this other subplot, and everyone's relationships have changed. As an in invaders from Mars, where it's a little boy who sees a spaceship landing in his backyard, and that came out just a couple of months before this. So there there's no way it was stolen. It was just one of those bits of serendipity. The thing is, Invaders from Mars is made by a real filmmaker, and Phil Tucker is not. Sadly, Phil Tucker wasn't allowed into his own premiere and he nearly committed suicide. Just Ooh, saying. Okay. Yeah, it was, wow. it was a tough story. He went on to be a, a big film editor and even worked as production assistant on the Dino De Laurentiis King Kong. He had a lot of, he, he moved on and had a great career. Um, the little boy, this whole movie is a little seven or eight year old boy's dream who's living in the world of comic books and science fiction movies. So the fact that well, even his his mom is dressed in this ridiculous, like, 50s ingenue sci-fi dress that it's filled with as, uh, problematic roles and dialogue and whatever. It is, it is from a little boy's imagination, not from necessarily the screenwriter, though it's certainly colored by that. It, it is not quite as awful at that level as one could say. Now... Is it ridiculous? Yes, it's a guy. In a, it's a guy in a gorilla suit and a, a space helmet, and a lot of bubbles. There are a lot of bubbles. Steve, you watch. You did watch. Yes, so, I, I was kind of wondering. I guess they didn't have a lot of effects back then, so that was just what was not for sixteen grand. Not for sixteen grand. Just bubbles just, coming out of a radio. Yes. Yes. It's, Bubbles, and that's how they they connect with each other across the galaxies. Yeah. And then, for half the special effects are stolen from a movie called One Million BC in 1940. We got some stuff from Lost Continent in 1951 because it was cheaper to buy stock footage. I'll tell you why. Anim animate dinosaurs. Go those those videos when they show you like how old people looked in the 80s and in the 70s. Like adults play when people complain about adults playing high school kids, and then they show you right. high school students from the 80s and the 70s looking like it's adults. Like, there yes. are scenes or there are times when that little seven year old kid looked like he was 45 years old. <laughs> Look, I I had fun with this in in the the I mean it's only an hour, right? Like yes, the, 58 okay. minutes, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I'm I'm so close to the end. I'll probably finish it up by tomorrow. Um, it is, I mean, it definitely has a mystery science theater 3000 vibe to it. I wouldn't oh, they, be surprised. They, they did this. Well, I think Elvira they, did it too. Yeah. Okay. I would actually love to see them do this. Yeah. Um, it we was could funny. Do it. We could do it someday. Yeah. It was funny, but it was also 
must have been real cold on that set for uh yeah. some of the some of the outfits that they had going on there. It was shot in March in Bronson Canyons where they shot a gazillion movies which is actually it's behind the Hollywood sign on Mount Lee. All the right. other side of that. Yeah, it was March in in the mountains of California. Yes, it was cold. I I could tell. I think everybody <laughs> could tell. Um Yes, we could. I think I mean, I think it's I did have fun watching it. It's always interesting to go back and kind of see where movies came from and what people were able to do. Like I was I was genuinely impressed when they're doing the scenes of Roman uh, addressing the humans that are left after the annihilation. Mm -hmm. And you see the the screen being like superimposed into the movie. You can actually yeah. see kind of the static outline as the little boy is standing in front of the screen you can see where that overlap is yeah. and i was really shocked to see an effect like that in a movie from 1953 i was like i didn't know that they could Absolutely. do this yet well, again tucker phil tucker would become a really great film editor and production designer on other films yeah that so he, part go ahead he knew what he was doing but you've got four days to shoot a movie and a sixteen thousand dollar budget what is $16,000 by today? Okay, let's ratchet it up for inflation. That's $100,000. Yeah. Is it, is, it, is it the catering menu? Is it the Skittles you, you put on the craft table? I, I, again, a lot of movies in this period, those guys, the Medveds, they did give attention to bad movies. Mm -hmm. And at some level created the cult around Ed Wood. And that's, that's all great. The mocking tone that they made about movies that were made as passion projects for nothing with no amenities is it, really annoying. For, I grew up watching these movies on TV. They were kind of new when I was watching them. And you'd look at something like this and be able to separate well, this is not War of the Worlds by George Powell. This is not Forbidden Planet for MGM, where the day the earth stood still. But you know what? In these minor 50s movies, it, it was the vibe of the period. It's the paranoia of the 50s. It's flying saucers and atomic bombs and all the rest of it. And it's, it is very easy to denigrate an entire generation of movies that kids watched and drive and had a great time watching. Um, would I rather watch Robot Monster than Forget the Flesh? You know, the day after tomorrow? Yeah. Independence Day? Yeah. If you've got hundreds of millions of dollars to spend and you don't give me a character I care about or a story that is just boilerplate blow-up nonsense, when you get to the end of this, Steve, you'll see the, the little twist I mentioned. It's like, okay, it, it does kind of make a difference. Is the twist it that it's still, all in the kid's imagination? It's all in the kid's imagination. So all that terrible dialogue, all those crazy outfits, all the nonsense about dinosaurs coming to life and whatever. If you were seven years old in 1953 and you were reading comic books and watching movies, that's what you want to see. Flash Gordon, Buck Rogers stuff. And that's what he's seeing. That certainly explains the perpetual nipples. No, <laughs> it, yeah. Oh, yeah. But it, again, it was filmed in March, and they're wearing no undergarments on the top. I loved. I, I genuinely loved the like 
almost Power Rangers monster of the week energy of the Roman alien race Roman. when they're discussing the mission <laughs> and they're yes. doing all of these wild gestures and like they're in the gorilla costume with the the helmet on and it's hilarious that you can see the actor underneath but they're wearing yeah. one of those like flesh covered body suits exactly right like, exactly it's, right. it almost looks like a skull but not quite because you can totally tell that it's a human being in a gorilla costume now um, in some of the posters they actually drew it to look like a skull so that's yeah. what they were going for but it, it never got there <laughs> I just put something in the chat. There was, um, do you remember the animated film from uh, probably over a decade ago by now? It was a, um, a animated film starring Will Ferrell called Mega Mind. Yep. I I never saw it, but I know the name. Okay, there is a there is a character in Mega Mind named Minion, and I actually I put a picture of this in the Skype chat. If you want to go and check oh, cool. the yeah the regular group that was inspired uh, in part by the robot monster. And you can oh, see cool. the similarities. Oh, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. The fishbowl uh, head and the gorilla yeah. body. Uh, he also shows up, by the way. Roman is also in Looney Tunes back in action. Oh, that's right. He's in yeah, Area 52 yeah, yeah, yeah. with Joan Cusack. Yeah. <laughs> and he's in black and white, of course. Oh, I totally remember that. Is there a, um, a colorized version of this? I'm sure there is, because at some point, I think it passed into the vagaries of public domain just Man. before Philly and Wade Williams bought it. So there probably is. You mentioned the 3D, the red and blue 3D, super mm -hmm. quick, and then we'll we'll get to the news. Yeah. Um, I remember when they used to do the Twilight Zone marathons on New Year's Eve. Channel and, 11 or, yeah. or Sci-Fi Channel, depending. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like, and in between, they had a, the one year they had a movie that you had to go to 7 Eleven to get the 3D glasses for. Mm -hmm. And so my entire family, my dad went to 7 Eleven. He got all the 3D nice. glasses and brought them to my grandmother's house for, uh, for New Year's. And I remember watching something on TV that was in 3D and it was somebody like, going through a table saw of some kind and when the saw hit the metal and was cutting through the sheet or whatever all those sparks and everything were flying out of the tv in red and blue hmm. 3d i remember that like it was yesterday might have been the might have been the mad magician with vincent price could have been could have been on half, what is that the I, I, mad magician yeah it's 53 54 yeah, 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 yeah. I'm looking at it now. Hold on. I mean, his big Oops. one was House of Wax, which is 53. That's that's the uh, peak of the, of the whole 3D. Yeah, thing. this was it. This was it. There's the there's the buzz saw on the table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow, uh, it's a fun movie. Fun movie. I, I was it Zachary that hosted or Elvira? Somebody hosted. I'm not that part. I don't remember. But I'm looking yeah. at images of this movie now. This is totally it. There you go. Good call, Bob. Thank you. Thank Damn, you. this is a little um, piece of my childhood right here. Well, you got you can watch. I'm sure that's on YouTube somewhere. Uh, it's it's yeah. Uh, uh, we before we did talking comics, we were doing the fanboy remix. Now it was all about movies, and we we had, we had a great time with it. Was it was Jackie and Brian and and Bobby, and it, it's interesting in that 
we're separated by so many years, as, as you folks are with me too. My growing up experience is different. So I have movies that are in my heart because I saw them as a kid, as you have your own touchstones. Yep. But uh, as I work through my years and work years in, in, in the greatest video store of all time, 112 Video, and you got a chance to experience these older films, I have, it's not just being forgiving, it's the idea of what did people have to work with? You, you, you can't say that, look, is Ed Wood the worst filmmaker of all time? No, if you gave him Christopher Nolan's budget, I bet you he could do a better Oppenheimer than he did. Hmm. Just saying. Um, a guy who makes a movie for $16,000 has got to yeah, be celebrated. I mean, I said it before we started recording, but yeah. like there's definitely problematic elements to the dialogue. Like the, the professor and his assistant, especially throughout this movie, movie, like it is, he, talk he talks the, about yes. leading a charmed life and how it's a man's world. And, yeah. you know, uh, what's her face? I get, what was her name? Cindy? Who was the, the the wife Martha or yeah the, no the uh, other one Al, the, the, Alice, Alice yeah Alice Alice, Alice like Alice. Roman is specifically asking for her and you know both and of the men are like she's a you big know scientist no I know but both of the men yeah. are like you can't go he literally picks her up off the ground and ties her up ties her up because he doesn't yeah. think that she can handle it wow and there's yeah. other stuff too but like I you can't it's hard to hold a movie from you know 1953 to today's sensibilities so i'm i'm trying mm -hmm. to be fair here i'm just saying like there were definitely elements of it that i was like Ooh. well the the, the see, here's the interesting with with the twist i was talking about in that the little boy johnny his idea of what the world is is that but he he paints his sister as one of the greatest scientists on earth and yet makes her into the damsel in distress at the same time yeah which is I think this Smart, uh, this little boy needs to sit down on a couch. Um, yeah, he he was around for a long time. This fellow. he actually does an interview on the disc. Actually, get to see him uh, talk about his role in the movie. He did some other movies and was in a Superman episode for television. Uh, again, the movie itself is what it is. I own already this on Laserdisc. I had a an image DVD from years and years ago when it first came out. Wade Williams pirated the, the right somehow he was he was the um uh, he was the jeff bezos of media of of this the 80s and 90s just glommed everything up Ugh. the version they they did here for baby entertainment again bob permanick and his crew they found this print there's a left and right they found it in a warehouse in fort lee new jersey in rusting film cans under the wrong title Oh wow! Under a reissue title, and went. This is Robot Monster. We we got to do so. It took them years to put this back together. There are missing frames on both sides. They had a rejigger to get them together. Sound is great. The picture is great. I am not necessarily. <laughs> Look, if you're a '50s monster movie fan, you need to own this version of Robot Monster. Forget what came out before sell it off, donate it to somebody else. you got to buy this because it... Oh, I'm sorry. I nearly cried at the end. 
to see <laughs> no, no to see a movie I've cared about for not seventy years, but probably I first saw this in the early sixties in a miserable print on television. To see a movie that that someone took enough care, and, and it's again these folks who take the care for a movie that cost sixteen grand seventy years ago and spent probably 10 times that to Hell restore yeah. it. And you come out with what I just watched. I'm in awe. I am simply in awe of what they did here. And, and thanks. And they do a lot of other great work. The, the 3d movie archives, they do major motion pictures and the real things and recreate this whole era. But again, if you're not going to watch it 3d, the 2d restoration is worth the price of admission. If you had the other versions. That's awesome. I'm glad you. I'm glad you watched this, Stephen. You know, maybe when we we relaunch, you know, Talking Movies 2.0. I Robot Monster Night. <laughs> Come on. We'd have to get some. We'd have to get some interesting voices on that one for sure. Oh yeah, yes, absolutely. We can, I'm. Wait, how about we get Whitley on from, from Progressively Horrified? Sure, I think he would. He would get a kick out of it. <laughs> yes, I think he would. This would be great. Um. I'm glad I'm glad that you had so much fun with this. It's 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 one of those things that only you can bring this stuff to this show. And Aww. I I I love it. It's great. I love hearing you be being so passionate about this stuff. Um, I definitely had a great time with it. I wish that I saw the version. I think if I had seen this with you, that I would yeah, I would yeah, yeah. come out of it with a different experience, of course, but I you know, maybe maybe we could table it for down the road if I find myself on the island cool. for an extended period of time. Glad, glad, glad you took a shot. That's important to me. Yeah, no, and I, I plan to finish it. Like it was, it was hooking me enough that I definitely will. Like when I eat my breakfast tomorrow, there I'll uh, I'll throw on the rest of it and watch the last like twenty <laughs> minutes or whatever it is. See the the big yeah. twist. There you go. And, and by the way, there's an entire book about Robot Monster called "I Cannot Yet I Must." The true story of the best bad monster movie of all time by Anders Runestad. It's about 500 pages, including the script and all the backstories. And it's around, and I'm sure there's a way to read it without going insane. Uh, there's probably, it, it's, it's out a couple of years. I got it as a Christmas gift. But you want to check that out. And if you're into 50s monster movies at all, mm -hmm. There are two books by a fellow named Bill Warren that came out from McFarland Press who do academic books for the most part, and they're called Keep Watching the Skies, which is the last line, if anyone remembers, from the 1951 version of The Thing from Another World. Yep. It's the last line, and it's all those movies with their makings and the stories. He, look, he's sometimes pedantic. He has his passions. I have mine. What can I say? Anyway, you would have gotten along really well with my fifth grade teacher, Mr. Gizmondi. He well, he's a great name right away. So, he's yeah, how I got into all this stuff because oh, instead cool. of like he he brought in War of the Worlds, he showed us Twilight Zone episodes as wow. like a treat for the class. I have a a picture from me. Like everybody got a picture in the yearbook that year, and my picture is uh, me holding a framed and signed photo of rod serling which oh my god belonged wow. to my teacher mr gizmondi he'd gotten it as a gift from his father 
And so he brought that in because he knew that I was into this stuff. He brought that in for me to hold for the the yearbook photo. It's pretty Never cool. got to meet Mr. Serling dead before the con thing, but boy, the, one of the most important people in science fiction ever. Mm. Hell yeah. All right. Let's oh. do some news. Some of these stories are real quick. We'll get through, we'll get through these. Uh, let's see what we got here. Let's go through the um, the Eisner Award winners real quick. We won't go through all the categories, but we'll we'll pick out a couple. Is there any that should I just rattle these off, or is there any that anybody rattle, wants to rattle, call to attention? Rattle and we'll stop. All right, all right, all right. You go what you think. And I'm going to go through to... a bunch of these. If you want me to stop, I'll stop. I'm not going to read yeah. all the all the people. I'll just read the winners. So. Best letters went to Stan Sakai for Usagi Yojimbo. Usagi Yojimbo still killing it in the comics. Thank you, thank you, Mara. Yes, yeah, yeah, seriously for championing Usagi Yojimbo yep. every week on the show. Uh, best digital comic. I talked about this a little while ago, ever yes, so briefly. Uh, was Barnstormers by Scott Snyder and Tuo Lote. Uh, if you've got Comicsology Unlimited, you can read this for free on Comicsology Unlimited. Mm-hmm. It's quite good. Um, Behind the Curtain by Sarah Del Guadice uh, or Guadice translation by mm-hmm. MB Valente uh, came from Europe Comics. Okay, best web comic again, Laura Olympus by of Rachel Smythe. I'm fairly certain that Laura Olympus has won this category for the past like three years running, I, maybe I more. Was, yeah, yeah, uh, it's a lot. Um, let's see, best writer went to James Tynan, the fourth. You know the books that he is on. Yep. Uh, he was up against Grace Ellis and Tom King and Mark Russell and Chip Zdarsky. So not a shabby pool. Uh, best writer and artist went to Kate Beaton. Yes. Uh, spe- yeah, specifically yes. for her work, uh, Ducks, Two Years in the Oil Sands, that uh, myself and Joey had talked about on the show. That's published by Drawn and Quarterly. What's up? Or was it Joey and yourself? Who who? Who actually talked about it first? I oh, I know that one was definitely me <laughs> and then him. It's so easy. It was definitely me and then him. Um, yeah. I'll fight with Joey. Joey? <laughs> uh, that's Full from Drawn wrestling. and Quarterly. Uh, it's a heavy read, deals with some some very weighty issues, but I highly, highly recommend it. Uh, that's Ducks Two Years in the Oil Sands. It's kind of it's an autobiographical piece mm. from Kate Beaton. It's wonderful. Uh, Bruno Redondo got best cover artist for the I, Nightwing. I want to talk about. I want to talk about this one. I'm not buying Nightwing. Yeah, he beat Sana Takeda, Zoe Thorogood, Alex Ross, and Jen Bartel. <laughs> yes, apparently so. Okay. Um, thoughts. I mean, I don't think that there's a bad name in this pile. Right. I could see any one of them taking it. I think the Nightwing covers are great um okay. if you ask me who i would have chosen i i personally would have chosen sana takeda yeah but um yeah. i mean they're I'm, all good I, I mean this is a this is a heavyweight list there's no question yeah when i look at this i kind of almost think and fight me i don't care <laughs> we will. i feel Go like ahead. if you look at a jen bartell cover you know it's jen bartell right away obviously you know alex ross yeah. from you can see his covers from space you know <laughs> you know the other two maybe not so much so i'm wondering if maybe it was really because you know when i was doing my nightwing catch up and i was 
going through the different issues, I do I realized that there was sort of like an inventiveness about a bunch of his covers. Okay. That they they it wasn't necessarily oh this is happening inside the uh inside well, the issue, but rather sort of like they a don't do that anymore. That's done. Yeah, it's like a, a a representation of some sort. So I'm wondering maybe it was just that that see okay. I think between I Bar- Bartel, Ross, and Takeda, I think their styles are very distinctive. Like Monstrous yeah. is coming up on I think it's 45th issue. That's crazy. And like this week. And um I'm so far behind on that. But Takeda has like that monstrous style, Takeda's style is so so that book and that artist. I think the only reason, like Zoe Thorogood also has that distinctiveness going uh, for her, but because she is relatively new or has only been around for the past few years, I think maybe she's still making her way up in the lists. The idea that she's even on here with the likes of Jen Bartel and Alex Ross and all the others. um, I think the one that is kind of... I don't want to say that it doesn't stand out because it absolutely does. And I think it's more a matter of style than a matter of um, oh yeah, artistry. Maybe that's not the right word. I don't know. I don't have a problem with Bruno Redondo winning. I just uh, maybe a little surprised. I don't know. I, I think surprise might be the best word. Uh, They're all winners. Takeda's cover are this combination of fine art and fantasy that always really captures something special mm-hmm. and and like i say it's a style that you absolutely recognize moment one yeah and maybe it's to say that you know bruno redondo is someone new to this pile who we will now recognize down the, the years as the next alex ross or something it was surprising to me over that name of three heavyweights and one up-and-comer that night we'll the series it's a good looking book Maybe he won because he draws the best ass. Yeah. I never thought of that. Okay. Nightbutt winning awards. There you go. All right. Let's move on here. Best publication for early readers. I just want to read some of these titles here because they're great. The Uh, the winner, I want this one. The Pigeon Will Ride the Roller Coaster. Yes. (laughs) By Mo Willems is the winner. There's also Grumpy Monkey Who Threw That. (laughs) I like that one. Uh, Fox and Chick, Up and Down, Other Stories. Uh, best publication for kids, Frizzy. You are just taking too long to get to the one you need to read. Uh, I'm so, Be- I, 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 nothing, nothing beats Little Monarchs in that category. I'm sorry. Uh, best publication for teens, Do a Power Bomb <laughs> by uh, Daniel Warren Johnson. We've never talked about that book on this podcast before. Uh, no. Not once. Uh, Heartstopper Volume 4 was also up for an award, but uh, Do a Power Bomb took home the cake. Well deserved. Uh, best U.S. edition of international material, Black Sad. Yeah. Coming on to the list. Love Black Sad. Uh, I've read at least two of those. They're amazing. Um, what else do we got here? Uh, best humor publication, Revenge of the Librarians by Tom Great Gould. Title. That's but I cool. didn't uh, didn't Chris come up with Cryptid Club, which finished second or third or whatever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I hate this place was on here. Killer Queens. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Lovestein presents failure. Uh, let's That's see. A great title. Best adaptation from another medium. Uh, Chivalry by Neil Gaiman. Look, uh, adapted by Colleen Neil- Doran. Nope. 
Right. Nobody beats Neil Gaiman and Colleen Doran. Yeah. Ten Days in a Madhouse, the adaptation of the Nellie Bly, has herself checked into a madhouse to try to expose, and it's a real story, uh, the problems with what was going on in the early 1900s, and she's a female reporter in that time. I'm sure chivalry is great. Ten Days in a Madhouse covers a lot of extra ground. Yeah. And if uh, you haven't read it, you should. Skipping ahead a little bit here, uh, yep. Best Penciler, Inker, uh, went to Greg Smallwood, The Human Target. Uh, I've talked about that quite a bit. Just saying. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm weird with this whole Penciler, Inker thing. Why is that? So inkers, inkers don't get to have their own category anymore. They have to be paired with a penciler. I don't know. It's like, uh, no, I don't get, no. I, I, uh, is, is this a whole Chasing Amy thing? Inkers are just tracers? Come on. Oh. Come on. Give Ooh. Inkers their due. Oh. Again, shots fired. <laughs> Best exactly. coloring goes to Jordi Belair, because of Whoa, course it does. Jordy. Uh, best painter, multimedia artist goes to Sana Takeda for the yes, Night Eaters. Go. I gotta there go back. Go. I'm just gonna say, I think the Jordi Belair thing is just a numbers game, to be no. honest. With you. She does so many. No, she's she's awesome. everywhere. It's like she's, she's, she's flooding the, the, the ballot box, dangling chads. I don't know what's going on. Dangling chads. Dangling chads. Okay, um, take a look at the new blade there. <laughs> just saying, that's the top of her game. Parker, the Martini edition, won a couple of awards, including what Best public, uh, Publication Design. Um, and that's pretty much what I'm seeing. There's the... Single uh, issue, Best Batman, One Bad Day, The Riddler. Yeah, yeah uh, Kevin maybe? Kevin Conroy's Finding Batman. Love uh, that story. J-Bone. so awesome. J-Bone on the art on that. Uh, go best ahead, Aaron. new title. Go ahead, Aaron. I was just saying that's my nickname in college. <laughs> J-Bone yeah, there you go uh, best single issue or one shot went to Batman One Bad Day The Riddler uh, from Tom King and Mitch Gerads. I think there were a lot of great issues in uh, that Batman One Bad Day mm -hmm. run I don't know that I would have chosen The Riddler as the winner among them but you know whatever um, I love the Catwoman one but that wasn't on the list best new issue was public uh, best new series public domain by Chip Zdarsky yeah, yeah, uh, sure. I'd have, I'd have. Oh boy, get ready for this earthquake. I'd have picked "Love Everlasting" by Tom King and Elish Sacharatier. <laughs> I know I've said a lot of bad things about Tom King, but "Love Everlasting" is so inventive. Yeah, uh, just this next one is all you limited series, Steve. Yeah, the Human Target. Um, Tom King, Greg Smallwood. Yeah. One best limited series. Uh, best continuing series went to Nightwing from Tom Taylor and Bruno Redondo. She-Hulk was on the list. I'm very happy. She-Hulk was that. there. Nice House on the Lake. Philadelphia, uh, which I need to catch up with. Uh, Department of Truth, I didn't even realize, is still going. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, Chip Zdarsky's Daredevil, which we've talked about a lot here. Um, best graphic memoir also went to Ducks, Two Years in the Oil Sands, yes. Kate Beaton. Uh, best graphic album went to the Night Eaters book one. She eats the night from Marjorie Liu and Sana Takeda. Uh, and yeah, there's a whole bunch of, and there's a whole bunch of names and everything. But those are pretty much the uh, the big time categories. You can yeah. go and check out the winners uh, anywhere online if you want to see the full list. There are lots of Hall of Fame entries this year because they were off for a couple of years. 
Yeah. There's a lot of very deserving folks. So check them out. We've got uh, humanitarian awards and Hall of Fame awards, Spirit of Comics awards to store owners. So, yeah. All right. I uh, I want to go, go ahead, Bob. Sorry. No, no, go. go. No, you're, you're in. You're in. I just want to I want to get to some of these other stories because I want to cool. I want to try to wrap us up in a little bit. Um, We got new tra- we got new trailers. Uh, we got new trailer for the Marvels and we got a Harley Quinn season four. You had asked about that, I think last week. And now we have yep. news of when it's starting and we have a, a trailer for it. It looks very Harvey, Harvey, Harley and Ivy centric. And uh, I'm just gonna, I'm not going to go on and on about the Marvels other than to say that it looks fantastic and that I can't wait to see it. And I hope, I, I hope it comes out on time. Yeah. I mm. really hope with all the things going on, I, as they've done these trailers, I think they're really marching to the Guardians plan in that you went with the goofy stuff to get new folks involved. And it was funnier early on. And we're getting deeper and deeper into this, that the logo has the various logos within it. We got Goose making coffee. We got Florkins <laughs> and great stuff from Monica. And we go higher, further, faster. Oh, come on. Come on. This movie's going to be awesome. I saw the first Marvel's trailer when I went to the movies to go and see Indiana Jones. And man, the vibes in that theater after that was over. People looked like they were excited. Oh, yeah. Oh, And there are people, of course, we know who they are. The most hated trailer of all time. Well, well, haters, go frack yourself. Whoa. Okay. Where, did I put that? Where did I put that bag of dicks? Hold on. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, Aaron, do you have any thoughts about Harley Quinn or the Marvels? I have yet to watch Harley Quinn. It's something that's saved in my queue to watch. I've just never gotten around to doing it. When it comes to a show like that, I have sort of like a I like self-actualized FOMO uh, because I feel like okay. if I if I start something and then i don't finish it it'll just sit in my head so i usually take time to sort of just sit where i can just power through the whole thing which is what i usually do for the star trek shows so that i still have to get into the marvel's trailer i am you know we spent a good amount of time hearing all kinds of speculation about what was happening and reshoots and all these different things and blah 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 delays and all sorts of things so i kind of chose to to for the whole period of time just put it out of my head um so much what i've done for aquaman just sort of put it out of my head um and just wait for the product itself to speak and i'll be honest as a as someone who's literally i think i've been i think we probably all have just doing this show i've been just beaten down sometimes by the by how much content and how how much we we take in and how we i think we've developed it ability to sort of see through some of the more trite uh sort of storytelling mechanisms so not everything that my i think i've realized that not everything that there are certain things that my friends will see who are probably not in the same space as us that they'll just go batshit crazy i'll be like oh that looks amazing and i'll just be like well actually that's not really even a real character and that's not even how that's supposed to go and that's probably that's all wrong blah 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 blah, blah. <laughs> this trailer i i it pushed past all that pushed past all of that cynicism uh and I actually really, really enjoyed it. I liked that, I don't know, I, that girlfriend type scenario. I was watching. A-Force, I, A-Force yeah. in, the, in the house. I 
was watching um a couple of things on YouTube over the weekend. One of them was like old clips of like Insecure, that Issa Rae show. Um, a couple or you know, uh, and just like that, and Sex in the City, and all these things. And there's really something about shows that can really capture what looks like an effortless relationship between ladies, uh, females, and in, in, in whatever media versus those that look very ham-fisted and forced. Yes, the the first reads better and entertains more. The second it always seemed just utilitarian to get you back to the next scene with a man in it. Mm-hmm. This seemed effortless and it they each seemed like they had their own different their own personality. So it wasn't one dimensional, but those personalities seemed to intersect in ways that at least for these this trailer looked funny and hilarious and amusing but exciting and that one big I'm I'm going to call it that that moving splash page of them flying through the air. Yes. I I I started sweating when I was watching that. I was just like, that looks nice. so good. So yeah, I'm I'm excited about this trailer. I'm so I'm excited about the movie. And I'll be nice. passing hey, I'm so excited. To- I, I'm buying Happy Meals, for goodness sake. <laughs> well, <you're laughs> I'm, I'm well, threatening to shut down my liver to, to I was gonna say more. you should probably eat those after the movie because you won't make it all the way through. <laughs> you might be right. I'll get in the head. I'm evidence of that tonight. <laughs> all right, let's move on. Marvel sensational She-Hulk. We finally have confirmation. Oh She-Hulk, my god! She-Hulk is just taking a small break. Yes. So after writer Rainbow Raul and artist, this is coming from comicbook.com, by the way. Uh artist Andres Genole uh, conclude their current adject uh, my god adjectiveless run on the superhero attorney in She-Hulk number 15, which hit stands this week. Jennifer Walters will reclaim the adjective in sensational She-Hulk number one this October. Nearly 35 years after writer-artist John Byrne reinvented the cousin of Bruce Banner, the Incredible Hulk, in the pages of the groundbreaking and fourth wall-breaking sensational She-Hulk in 1989. Ru- uh, Ruel and Genolet will relaunch the book in the sensational spirit on October 18th. Bob. I'm I'm in. I'll be buying extra copies to pass out to people. The John Byrne She-Hulk is the gold standard. And there were glimpses of it in Rainbow's first run. I, I think now that we see that that's where they're going, mm-hmm. it is. it was the stepping stone to let everyone get to there. Sure. Jen loves being the She-Hulk 24-7. Yeah. And... The same supporting cast. She's still in the law office with Mallory and Andy, the awesome android, and all this craziness. I hope Jack is still around because the Jack of Diamond stuff was really deep and a lot of fun. But I don't um, know. They've been pushing him out. Uh, maybe he has to go to space. Oh, wait, to wait, wait. Here we radiation. go. The Here book go. will hit the ground running with Jen's supporting cast, Jack of Hearts. Accomplished yes! lawyer Mallory Book and awesome Andy Android and Patsy Walker. Ooh, we got Patsy too? Yeah, they're oh, all coming God. back. Oh, man. Wolverine, Spider-Man, Howard the Duck. Yes. yes. Awesome. Oh, wow. Oh. Luke Cage, Fantastic Four's Thing, uh, Volcana, Titania, Iron yeah, they're Fist. In their, they're in their superhero fight club, so yeah. From the Punch Club. <laughs> yes. <laughs> please all right so this is this is essentially just a continuation of what they were doing but maybe a different tone 
but some extra comedy, some extra fourth wall, and that's awesome. And I, here, off topic, I do hope there's a second season of the show. The show was awesome. Yes. Yes. Tatiana Maslany as Jen and and She Hulk. Time for a rewatch. Rewatch tomorrow. All right. What else do we got here? Um, so this comes from the Beat Comics Culture or ComicsBeat.com. Uh, Whitley, Jeremy Whitley. Whitley. Uh, Whitley's got a new book coming out. The Cold Ever After comes from the creative team of writer Jeremy Whitley and artist uh, Megan Huang. Uh, it follows a former knight on a quest to find the daughter of her former lover, who also Ooh. happens to be the queen. Bum, bum, bum. I'm in. It's Whitley. I'm in. So here's how Titan describes the cold ever after. She lost everything when she fell in love with her queen. Now she has a week to find a missing princess, or she'll lose it all again, along with her head. Oh! Wow. Uh, It goes on. There's a couple of names I don't know how to pronounce. Sorry, Jeremy. But uh, art looks fantastic. Looks very whimsical. It's very painterly i kind of love it have you guys seen this if you click on the uh, link just, in the in the thingy yeah. you'll see it um okay, I know. Ooh, it's bloody there's some nastiness going on in this page damn all right, all right. this is not your typical fairy tale fair this is quite oh yeah ooh, there's blood on the cover i love it i love it i think i think jeremy might have yeah. sent us a few panels of this some months yes, ago um, oh, it's go- this is gorgeous. This is oh, yeah. This and the great. messages that'll be here. Come on, we know from Jeremy that this will all be. Does it say when this is uh, coming out? Um, um see if I can I'm find looking. a date for y'all. Oh, here we go. Uh, February oh, well, twenty twenty four. Yeah, February twenty seventh, twenty twenty four. So we got a while. So pre order the book. Go to your local store and pre order this. Yeah, that's what we got to do. Yes, it it is a little violent. Yes, it is. A little, yeah, it's definitely a the, the more you scroll, it's like, whoa. Splorch. I mean, yeah. I'm sorry. When you see these sound effects, splorch, it's not going to be good. Uh, no. let's, let's... I, I, I trust. I trust in Whitley. <laughs> another uh, another friend of the pod has a book coming out. David Pepos. A, this is whoa. coming from Marvel.com. A new Punisher makes his Marvel Comics debut. Yes. Spencer well, and Locke. He, write, he, he, he did him in um, Savage Avengers, I guess, right? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. But this oh, is a cool. this is a new one, apparently. This is a new yeah. Punisher. So David Pepos, friggin' Spencer and Locke, David Pepos. Uh, yes, and David. let's see, he's he's also doing that Moon Knight City of the Dead and drawn by mm-hmm. superstar uh, Dave Watcher, Planet of the Apes, X-Men Legends. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Rod Reese on covers. Let me see if I can get a... In this action-packed new Punisher saga, Frank Castle has disappeared, but evil will always need to be punished. With all new threats rising to claim innocent victims, criminals will need to beware of a dangerous vigilante haunting them from the shadows. Enter a new Punisher, retired S.H.I.E.L.D. Black Ops agent Joe Garrison. But what brings him back into action? What put Joe Garrison on his path of vengeance? And when the smoke clears, will he even make it out alive? We probably like hated the that. Mar- 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 
Would you? Yeah, that could be too. He probably hated the Marvels trailer and went on a rampage. Yeah, yeah, he's old, old bro centric. Here's the thing: maybe it's time. Look, I I know Frank Castle will be back, but here's how you can examine all that means to be the Punisher by putting someone else in that position. Great move by David. I like this Great outfit move. that it's yeah. he's got going yeah. on. It's it's kind of got the traditional Punisher look to it, but it's but still, yeah, it's neat. It's neat. Yeah, if um, if you don't have a visual component, you should go and check this out. Um, let's Give see. Space ghost. What's that? Give him a military space ghost. Yeah. <laughs> space ghost. <laughs> it does. Uh, Screen Rant wants me to disable my ad blocker. No thanks. We might have to yeah. skip that story. Um, I put these in here for me super quick. I I love uh I suck at playing them royally, but Mortal Kombat 1 is coming out in a few months. And uh, they're putting amongst among other characters, they're putting Homelander and Peacemaker into Mortal Kombat as playable characters. Cool. There's a trailer introducing them, and also the uh, Daddy Mustache from uh, Invincible, the father, is also uh, a part of that pack. I can't remember his name, but um, no, 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 I'm like, um, no, um, crap. I had it in my head. <laughs> Um, J.K. Simmons is voicing him in uh, in oh. the game, oh. which is gonna, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah, I love the Mortal Kombat games. the The last generation of them specifically have been incredible. You'll never hear me say that a fighting game has an amazing uh, story mode or campaign, with the exception of Mortal Kombat. The last few Mortal Kombat games, I've played them specifically for the story content. Uh, they do some really, really wild stuff in that series, and I can't wait to see how they reset everything from Mortal Kombat One, uh, rewrite the universe, bring it all back after the events after the events of Eleven. Uh, I'm ready. Let's go. It looks awesome. Uh, and I threw this last thing in here because this is just yeah, I too hear awesome. About this. <laughs> this is amazing. So Comic Cons, any con really, they're known for having these activations, these interactive things that people can come and participate in, do, take pictures with, whatever. The king of kings, the lord of lords, as far as activations goes, there is a Jurassic Park toilet activation, or at least there was, is now the number, it was the number two thing to do at San Diego Comic-Con 2023. You can literally sit in the shredded, um, Porta potty where the lawyer, where the lawyer got gets eaten the, yeah, off okay. of the toilet with a giant for that awful suit he was wearing. Yeah, a giant Tyrannosaurus Rex coming out of the foliage, and you sit on the toilet, and the people at San Diego Comic Con take your picture as you're about to be devoured yeah. by the by the Tyrannosaurus Rex off of a toilet. I wish that I was at San Diego Comic Con, if only for 20 minutes to get my photo taken and then leave on the toilet. Oh my god! I would, I the, I won't even get into what I would give to take a photo with this thing. It looks Here, amazing. Here's the no, thing: if you could, you, if you <laughs> could turn the the bathroom run into something incredible, why not? And oh that, that's one of the great bathroom moments in movie history. Aaron, was it four years ago where the bathroom at New York Comic Con was turned into the house on Haunted Hill? <laughs> 
Yeah, was that, that or, when Carolina you know, haunting, haunting, had haunting, of, haunting of Hill House, where people the line was yeah. an hour to get into the bathroom? Yes, they <laughs> had to were wait. taking pictures. Yes, that was problematic. Yes, yeah, maybe not the smartest activation. No, they had they had mirrors that would have ghostly faces in it and moans and things going on. And yeah, moans coming from the stalls. Am I right? Yeah, exactly. Oh. It's like, oh, okay, wait a minute. Okay, maybe you shed some metamucil before you went to the bathroom. <laughs> but um, sorry, uh, it was. Lots why of fiber. is everyone taking taking so long? Yeah, it's fiber. It, you gotta have some fiber. What, what? What? Which was the Jamie Lee Curtis one? What was she doing? Uh, Activia. No. Activia. <laughs> right. Yes. Activia. Yeah, it was. Yes, it's Activia. Kind of enough like probiotics in your system. But no one was coming out of uh, of the ladies' bathroom. Oh until God. Carolyn, Professor Dr. Eisner, Ward, when Carolyn Coke came out of the bathroom, went, you don't know what's going on in there. People are taking pictures at every <laughs> mirror and every place. And it's, it's a whole interactive bathroom. It was just no reason for it on the floor. No, there isn't. But you know, why the hell not? Right? I think that's where the empanada money went. But um, <laughs> Yes, because we had to buy extra empanadas waiting for people to come out of the bathroom. Hey, Steve, I got that other article open if you want me to read it. Uh, yeah, I just want to say one thing. If I had the money, I would totally get a like a replica T Rex from from the powers that be and put that in my bathroom. Like, cause <laughs> I I had a friend who had like a jungle yeah. setting painted on their walls in their bathroom. But if you just stuck that T Rex directly across the toilet, the first time you have people yes. over and they walk in there, oh my god. Awesome. You, you say that now, but then you'd wake up in the middle of the night and forget yourself and then go in there. And next thing you know, you're pissing all over the ceiling. You're the yourself, you're literally. Right, right, right. And as you I get to get older now. and you have to go more often, seeing that when you first turn the light on could be problematic. Ah, that's all right. That's all right. It'd, be, it'd be a hell of a way to go. Only hitting the toilet yes. a third of the time. All right, Aaron, you want to take us through our last story here? Well, it's just uh, regarding Black Widow. So it says Black Widow, uh, I'm sorry, Black Widow officially joins Venom's family with Shock Symbiote redesign. Oh, yeah. Shocking new announcement Black Widow is joining Venom's family in Marvel's main continuity with her own symbiote redesign. Natasha Romanoff's Black Widow is getting her own Venom makeover as the ultimate espionage uh, agent gets a symbiote upgrade that promises to change her forever. Or for a while. Anyway, uh, for a while now, Marvel has, has been teasing the arrival of a new symbiotic character slated to arrive in upcoming Venom number 23. However, a new preview from Marvel suggests that the most interesting thing about this new uh, member of the Venom family is its host. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but in solicited information in November, uh, November number one, Venom 27, November 1st, no, Venom 27, Marvel reveals that the deadliest Avenger is heading for a huge change issue. Uh, from and this might make you feel better. Torn Grumbach, <laughs> yeah. Well, that Julius Oda, that that might draw yeah. you in. I tease yes. that Black Widow will be uh, the host of a new, currently unnamed symbiote, unlike anything fans have seen before. So that's kind of you know that's the gist of it. Marvel promises, blah 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 blah. That creative you know, team, all that though, stuff. Creative team. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm always willing to give Torn Grumbach you know, an opportunity to, to rope me in. Um, mm-hmm. I think, I think in anyone else's in someone else's hands, I might've been like, pass. Yeah. Someone absolutely. let me know. But because I know how Torrent Grubbeck takes time to really flesh out characters. 
No pun intended. <laughs> exactly. Hello. She's proving herself to me with uh with Jane. So you know, mm-hmm. Valkyrie. So I'm 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 yeah. willing to give her any shit so. But the only problem I have is that, you know, you still have to deal with that whole the whole symbiote lore. I yeah, I hate means. Venom. But I love Black Widow that and might... love Torrance, so that's two yeah. against one. So I may have to, you know, Get Julian order to to this. Yeah, I the pushes it over. We might have to push through. Why do people love Venom and Carnage? Can someone tell me? Chris probably could. I think okay. it's yes. <laughs> I think a lot of it. I I call it the the Boba Fett factor, in that oh. the character looks really cool, and gotcha. so I think that goes a long way for some people. Because I'm probably gonna get flame for this. Boba Fett is not a cool character, or at least he wasn't no. until they did. He got eaten in, in the Sarnock pit or whatever it was, right? I mean, I just as how dare you as a character in the movies, <laughs> as a character in those in in the the first movies that came out. The I did, I never I never understood. I I have been told, and I'm sure this is the case, that in the books that character is expanded yes, upon, and it's better. it's the yeah. b- the book lore that made people fall in love with. That character, I know nothing about that, so I'm totally willing to accept that as the explanation. But as a character that comes onto the scene, barely does anything, and then just gets kicked into a pit and eaten, I never saw the draw to that character. He yeah. looked cool on a skateboard, and that was about it. Listen, yeah. before y'all come at us, the comments expressed by Stephen say do not reflect those of. <laughs> I said what I said because because <laughs> those are. Uh... No Star Wars. Hey, you might you might catch a, catch one on the back of the head from Carolyn. I <laughs> uh, could be could be. Look, I saw those movies in the theaters, and it was wow. Twenty years later, Boba Fett's the guy. What okay. I suggest, I'm I'm, I'm putting this out to the atmosphere. Okay. We I think we should have a quick little Boba Fett understanding, and have two people. Come on to the show. I think we should make gotcha. an open invitation. One okay. would be Eisner Award-winning Professor Dr. Carolyn Coca. Okay. And the other one would be Hugh Perry. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I yeah. All right. Your combined knowledge of all things Star Wars would be interesting. Oh, and Melissa Megan. So, so yeah, yeah, we'll have we'll have a round table, point counterpoint. I think it would be interesting. Well, Boba Fett sucks big. Whoa. <laughs> <Or not. laughs> Whoa. Good night, everyone. That wasn't Thank me. That wasn't I me. I love it. I didn't I, say hey, anything. look, at least I couched my opinion in I'm probably wrong, and I'm Listen. sure that the novels have done wonders no. for that character. Yeah, no, I don't I don't disagree with that. But from the motion picture standpoint. Yes. That is my position on this. Yeah. yeah. I don't understand. So, how for so many years, whenever somebody would say Star Wars, people would lose it for Boba Fett, where up until that point in the movies, he did very, very little. He is in the holiday special. <laughs> I rest my case. Along oh. with B. Arthur and Jefferson Starship. And Don't know about Carol. nothing bad about B. Arthur. All right, all right. <laughs> Bo- Bo- Boba no. Fett for the 2024 ticket. I'll vote for him. How about that? I probably would that. I, I definitely Probably would. would do that. Make a cool it. campaign poster. Coming. All right. 
That's it. We're done here. Let's talk about the books. I think he was. I think he was born in Kenya, though, so he probably isn't eligible. Ah, damn it! (laughs) Sorry, Aaron. Uh, Aaron, what books are you looking forward to this week? None of them. Uh, (laughs) Really, I only have a couple. Well, there's actually no. I'm looking forward to all four of these, all five of these. Uh, X Men Hellfire Gala number one. Uh, I said what I said. Uh, The Last Days of Lex Luthor number one because I would love to see this be the last days of Lex Luthor. The wow. Dead Lucky number seven, uh, finally coming back out. Uh, Indigo Children number five, and from Stranger Comics, Tales of Asunda. And uh, and I know there's someone who is listening right now who understands when I say from Stranger's Com- Stranger Comics what exactly I am talking about. You know who you are. Oh. Anyway, there are a great comic imprint uh, that um, we usually... Bob, you, you, you're usually with me when we go by their their, their booth at uh, yeah, NYCC. The books, the books are incredible, and I'm sad to say I've never actually borrowed yours to look at them. They're, they're, they're sitting gorgeous. at the table for like an hour. It, it is awesome they're, stuff. Deep story, interconnected. Yep. Great characters. Beautiful yeah. art. Beautiful story. And my understanding is I think they have a development deal. Um, they were actually oh, at them. Uh, they were actually at Blurred Con. Uh, Sebastian, who was the the founder and owner, yeah. was there uh but he i didn't get a chance to chat with them but i believe they have a deal uh because one of the characters is based on um what was it oh what's her name uh steinberg stenberg what is her the actress the young african-american about? actress um to, who's young african-american actress stenberg was it uh Amanda, Amanda stenberg sorry Amanda, yes 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 yes, yes. she uh some one of the characters that is central to what some of their stories is is based on her likeness and her and i think she's got something to do with um some of the deal that they have but i gotta do some more research there but this was something i read i follow them on instagram but this it's a great world that they have developed there's they've really grown a variety of connected stories and it should probably i i forget i should probably say most of the characters look like me so uh you know just uh something to it's if you're looking to get into a new fantasy you know brilliantly crafted world uh check it out i bought a bunch of their stuff i read you know most of it some of it's still sitting in my library but it's really good stuff so i'm going to check that out yeah. um, well, i didn't really enough of those one had come out, yeah. so i'm going to buy one and two go ahead sorry yeah well there aren't nearly enough of those things the things yep series tend to fall into where they they go so it's when there, there are those new universes that seem like from moment one what we, um what was the gail simone thing seven days yep well yes. like first issue is like i know these characters because they're familiar but they're new and the stranger things are definitely that definitely yep. that. so I, yeah. I really really am looking forward to it so i'm gonna buy one and two and probably talk about it next week cool all right, Bob, what are you picking up? Hellcat, number five of five. Elvira in Monsterland, number three. The last She-Hulk, which I thought it was, number 15. But now, thankfully, my heart is lifted because there'll be more. My big get for this week is My Little Pony Camp Big Hoof by Stephanie Cook. Oh. Uh, right there. And Stephanie will be joining us sometime in the next couple of weeks to chat about her books. Excellent. Excellent. 
Uh, I am also going to pick up My Little Pony because I want to read Stephanie's new book. But I'm also getting The Incredible Hulk number two, She-Hulk number 15. I'll check out that X-Men gala. Indigo Children number five, Click Click Boom number two is coming out this week. Uh, I mentioned it before. Oh, it's uh, issue number 46 of Monstrous, not 45, 46. Uh, and everyone's favorite, my favorite and yours, World Tree, number four. Yeah. Let's get depressed. <laughs> Let's get depressed. Uh, it's uh, like a meal. It's just, no happy meal. That's right. No happy meal. So uh, other business that we need to take care of. Um, Bob, do you have anything you want to share? No, I, 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 I did my happy meal thing before. All right. Uh, we're only a couple of weeks away from FlameCon happening on August 12th and 13th. If you're going to be there on Saturday the 12th, uh, our panel is scheduled for 7 o'clock p.m. So if you're going to be anywhere in New York City, at be at FlameCon and be at our panel uh, at 7 o'clock the thursday on tune panel you're there bronwyn chris who else is on this panel uh david r slayton author and ben khan horrified and renegade rule and a whole bunch of other stuff yep uh there's a excuse me a gotham outsiders panel happening i believe on sunday at four uh we can we can post the schedule there's a couple of highlights and we have a couple of friends doing some panels and stuff but yeah we'll be I mean, our panel's not until seven. We'll be at the show walking around all day. So if anybody wants to meet up or catch up or whatever, um, we will be there for a majority of that day. Um, I Major do not talking comic representation at this yeah. show. Yeah, we'll um, be there. I'm not a hundred percent how much we're going to be there on Sunday. Um, Sunday's kind of up in the air, but we should at least be able to attend the uh, Gotham Outsiders panel if nothing else. Um, but the plan was to stay at Joey's uh, overnight because Brahman was going to be leaving on a business trip uh, later that evening, but we might be rearranging plans. So I'm not sure how things are going to go. So definitely Saturday. Uh, and like I said, as we get a little bit closer to the show and know what's going on after the fact, uh, we'll announce any kind of like outside the con meetup but for right now, just if you're if you're set on hanging out, my advice is to get a ticket to FlameCon. There are tickets available. Um, I believe it's under 30 bucks to get in for the day. Uh, and come and hang out with us. Come and party with us. It's going to be fun. There's going to be lots of good vibes going on there. Uh, tons of great creators and books and opportunities to chat and meet with people. And it's going to be amazing. We're going to have a lot of fun. Chris and Bronwyn have put together an amazing panel. Uh, and this is my first time being a panelist at a con. So Whoa. I am pretty excited slash nervous. What? Have you ever been to FlameCon? I have not. Oh, you'll well, enjoy. I'm a virgin. I'm a virgin too, Aaron. <laughs> okay, no- we're gonna end this podcast make- now. There you go. Yeah, I'm sorry about. Wait, that. but this <laughs> means this means. Wait, does this mean Steve might actually be able to join us for cookies this year? Ooh, what is cookies? Ooh, don't oh, worry about it. is that is that code? You'll no, be fine. Not a code. 
It's a great store Horrible. that makes great cookies. You, you got you got you got some uh, you got some some cookies I can have. You got some cookies. I'm not gonna be able to bring anything over the border. You can have some cookies. For no, me? you eat them. You eat them. There. Relax. Relax. <laughs> maybe we'll, some maybe special recipe cookies. No, just well. Yes, they are very special. Ah, not damn it! It's a tradition. It's a tradition that, that we put together. Good lord. This, this tradition yeah. is probably like easier, like six or seven years now, or something like that. Gotta be, gotta be, gotta be easily. Whenever Look, if these cookies don't get story. me high, I'm very disappointed. No, no, they'll Listen, get you high because they're the greatest chocolate chip cookies. Ah, uh, high on friendship. Listen, high on be, friendship. There's little green trucks driving around the city right now. They'll take care of the other part of that. But right, you got that going. Well, right. we'll do some it. walking around. We'll get some cookies. We'll have some cocktails at the Algonquin. We'll do the whole. We'll do yes. the whole city thing for everybody. Maybe Ben will Ben will hook me up, get the the, the monkey off my back. <laughs> All right, we're good. We're done. We've reached the end of this week's edition of the Talking Comics Podcast. As always, you can send us your comments or questions through our email podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com. Uh, we're on. Are we still calling it Twitter or X? X. We're on X. Oh God! I, you know what? I, I'll tell you that we're at Talking Comics on that hellscape, but probably not for long. Uh, I'm pretty much just using my account for work-related stuff at this point. Uh, I am on Blue Sky, so look for me there. Threads, huh? What's that? No, no one's on Threads. Huh. No, I, I, I didn't join on Threads. I, it sounded high? a little, little a above my pay grade. I can't. Uh, I don't. Is what? Oh, Hive. Hive. Hive is still around. I don't know if it's. I don't know if it's going to survive the uh, oh. social media apocalypse. But um, we're I, over on there too. T- uh, talking comics. Uh, then talking comics still podcast on, on Instagram. Yeah, I, I took a break for a while because life got in the way. But I'm back. I'm back on IG now. Uh, you'll, you'll be. Dude, around. I get so many updates cool. for the talking comics Instagram on my smartwatch. It's nuts. <laughs> um, I st- I still get it. Uh, Occasional updates for the forum. Do you? Oof, is it spam? Yes. I, yes. Yeah, it's all yeah. like R- Russian uh, date sites. Oh, that, there but, you go. Yeah, but it's still out there. Come at uh, us on Instagram. If, yeah. you're on yeah, you Sky, if you're on Blue Sky, if you're on Blue Sky, we do have a Talking Comics Blue Sky. Uh, it's just at Talking Comics and then whatever the Blue Sky address is. Um, I've not really souped up the profile or anything yet i just wanted to reserve the real estate but we are on there if you want to follow us we'll eventually do something with it um but for now uh bob where can our listeners find you it is still safe to to get me at the old-fashioned email bob ryer at talkingcomicbooks.com yeah we're all going to be back there eventually i have a feeling i think so uh aaron how about you eating cookies uh aj amos 70 Sweet. Uh, Joey is at John. You know what? I don't think any of them have contacts anymore. John doesn't know what his is. Joey is at, at Joey Bruccino at talkingcomicbooks.com. Yes. Uh, like I said, I'm dead anchorous across social media. Look for me on Blue Sky. Um, I think that's myth of it. Psyche for Chris. Yeah, the Somewhere, Myth of Psyche maybe. for Chris and at Shiny Baby B for Bronwyn. Maybe course. we should open an AOL chat room. Oh, what yeah. I'm telling you, only OnlyFans is looking more and more likely. I'm just saying, uh, you know. Yo, know, I had an only I had an OnlyFans idea like a month ago, and I'm strongly considering it. There's some freaky OnlyFans out there, and I think I qualify for at least one of them. 
I can oh, make her pick and make a killing. We'll, we'll, I, we could do this. We I have a lot this. of scars. <laughs> there are some people that are way into that oh. stuff. There you have it. Steve, I can clip Steve, my toenails and send them to you folks if you want to purchase them on OnlyFans. I don't know. Is uh, that an ASMR thing or is that AMR? No, no, no. That all works. No. Steve, did you ever see the movie After Hours, the Martin Scorsese movie? Uh, I don't think so. Oh, no. My medication alarm's going off. Shut up. Okay. Where, where, where Griffin Dunn uh, hooks up with Rosanna Arquette in it's the movie's 1985. So he goes into Soho to meet this crazy lady in the village and it is the worst sort of Kafka-esque nightmare you can imagine. <laughs> incredible, incredible cast. And it, it just came out as a Criterion special edition. But Rosanna Arquette, it turns out, or at least it seems like, is a very scarred person. Mm. She's got all sorts of like salve and ointment and a book filled with scar burn victims that he picks up. It's like, oh. So, you know, 40 years ago, it was a thing. I got so them all. We could, do, we, could do, we could do an OnlyFans. We could do that. I got them all. I got the zipper scar. I got the abdominal. I got the back of my head. I got my cancer shoulder. I got a lot oh, of stuff. Right. Good night, everyone. <laughs> I, nice. love, I love making Aaron so uncomfortable. <laughs> this has been really fun. Thank you Which so much for listening. Be excellent to each other. And until next time on the Talking Comics podcast, to be continued. Thank <laughs> you.